I'm waiting for a meme that talks about the idea of, well, if you if you put pants on your head and pants on your, your bottom, then the virus will think that you're not a human and will just go right past you. Welcome to Paleo Cheese Podcast, Episode 4, November, with special guest, Josh Mallerman. All right, everybody. My name is Jeremiah Bannister. And I am Chad Lutsky. And you're listening to the Paleo Cheese Podcast, where we toss a film onto the old Chase Lounge to discuss it, to psychoanalyze it, and every once in a while, to point and giggle at it. And today, man, we're going to be having a ton of fun because we have, as you can see, not only are we doing a, a special edition video edition of this podcast, but we have another face here, Chad. Yes. Yes, yeah. Mr. Mr. Josh Mallerman. Josh is the author of Bird Box, which has turned into a, a record-breaking Netflix original starring Sandra Bullock and John Malkovich, which he's the one I was most excited about in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, his other books include Unbury Carol, Black Mad Wheel, A House at the Bottom of a Lake, Goblin, On This Day, The Day of the Pig, Inspection, and this July with 21st from Delray yeah. Delray Books uh, is Mallory, which is a sequel to Bird Box. So welcome, Josh. Thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah, man. Right on. We, we, you know, we, you had mentioned a few times about coming over to your house and, and hanging out. And in some like strange, you know, technological way, we're kind of doing that. That's, and it, which is crazy during this time, you know, with the, the whole, the plague and whatnot. Like, first of all, we don't live that far from each other. I mean, yeah. we would have to make a night of it, but it's not that far. But then yeah. it seems interesting that this is the, the time that we're coming together. In our yeah, yeah. So we can't leave our homes. <laughs> but I, I did want to, now that I had you here and, and we're rolling, uh, I wanted to congratulate you, man. On I've kind of watched from afar for the past probably four years, uh, which is when I first read Bird Box. And uh, you've been uh, a great inspiration to me as a writer watching you be as prolific as you are and just your, you know, your, your passion for things. Like we were talking earlier, you're just, uh, it's it, just the whole, the whole package of Josh Merriman, man. It's, it's inspiring and uh, right. encouraging. So um, it's, it's good to, you know, get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's uh that's, you know, sometimes I think that that's more important than someone even liking the book. Honestly, you know, I think about like, in, in terms of like, I guess, inspiring someone or whatever, you know, I think about people used to say that about the Velvet Underground albums that everyone that listened to a Velvet Underground album started a band. I would love to yeah. one day, I don't know, occupy some variety of that role in horror fiction, at least for this era. You know, if you read, if you read Bird Box or Carol or Carpenter's Farm, even if you read any of them, you're like, fuck, man, I can write a book too. I'm going to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I know you've I I know you've worked uh really hard and and uh you know writing in, in for hours in a passenger seat of a van crammed with a bunch of sweaty dudes. It reminds me of like uh Henry Rollins in the Black Flag days, you yeah. know. Paying we your even, dues. And- we even listened to his uh audiobook whatever during that during that era when mm-hmm. we were when we were on there. Yeah. What was it? I can't remember what it's called Get in the Van. Get the Get in the Van, the Black Flag Diaries, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We listened to that when we were when we were out on the road. Yeah, those days were insane because like I had yet to 
really like now I listen to um uh pretty much straight up like horror soundtracks while writing. Mm-hmm. But back then I I I wasn't in that groove yet. I was like working on my second book and then third and I was in a van. And most of the time, what am I gonna do? Tell my bandmates, you know, w- what music I need. You know, we have to listen to Creep Show while we're driving to Salt Lake City or something, right? <laughs> so like, but they would be listening to like Jerry Garcia and you're like yeah. trying to like, <laughs> trying to, like do like a scary scene and it's like, and you're like, oh shit, man. It's not working. <laughs> and it's, it's not working. And, but then you were like, if you could pull that off, Wow. If, if you can pull off a legit scary scene while the Grateful Dead are singing weird harmonies, and then, then you totally, you're made of something, I think. Speaking, so, speaking of horror soundtracks, in the, in the pre-show, right, we're all in the little studio here on, on StreamYard, and we got talking, and we decided you showed us something, and we want you to show the people who are watching yeah. this, because it's amazing. It's, I mean, it, yeah. it, it blew our mind to see this. Here, y'all. Yeah. This is... Uh, collection of all four vinyl. Like Look that. at that, man. That's vast. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And I'll show you a couple uh, here. I brought this one out. This is wow, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I want to show you the, the label on it, but that would take me setting this down here. There's some other. This one is in like like my all one of my all time favorites. Yeah. And the craziest thing. I had an episode for a creep show, yes. um, a new like TV series, and this guy that did the music, John Harrison, directed it. And this is oh nice. And like my my this has always been like my favorite soundtrack. So I'm really nervous to talk to him on the phone. And at the end of the conversation, I was like, "Hey, uh, Mr. Harrison, um, I wanted you to know that I have the original creep show vinyl." And he was like, "Dude, I don't even have that." hold on there's oh this looks like the original stuff hold on because there's a lot of new stuff too but oh look at good look at that one yeah oh wow yeah yeah i don't think i've ever seen that well it's like really kind of silly and whatever but it's yeah have this is bird box which is to you know the most thrilling thing in the world and i actually listened to this while writing mallory which was a which a complete full circle head trip. Meta. No, that's that's cool, man. I want to show you one more original one. Ooh, who's that? What's this one? Hold on. Well, vampiros, lesbos, no. But there's um. <laughs> there's, there's, I wanted to show you. I have. Uh, I don't know where it is right now. I want. I have the original of the thing. This is the very first one I ever bought. Right here, the band was playing a show. And I, I didn't even have a record player at the time. I bought this. And my bandmates were like, why, why, why'd you buy that? You know? And I was like, I don't know. And that started like a, what's become like a lifelong obsession now with horror movie soundtracks. That's what's awesome. The, what's the movie? I, I wish I remembered it. I was going through and I was assembling a whole bunch of movies to watch. And there's a movie, a horror film, where it's, it's about uh, the experiences and the craziness involving someone who makes the sound effects for scary? Yeah, movies. it's um. <laughs> oh, but it's that kind of name. Yeah, um, right. Something it's a, like it's like named after the process itself, almost. Yeah, it's a, it's right. a B. Uh, I saw it in the Detroit Institute of Arts in like the theater there. It was <clears> awesome. <throat> the old school seats, and yeah, like where he 
he slowly starts. To, he played Hitchcock in a movie. That guy, the guy that 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 was the sound of the the Foley guy, where he like mm. someone on screen getting stabbed, and he like you know stabs a head of lettuce. Um, what is the name of it? it starts with B, dude. Oh, uh, Barbarian Sound. Yeah, Barbarian. Yeah, Barbarian. Hey, I've, never even, I've never even heard of that man. It it looks it looks fascinating, and I I, I figured I you know with with all of you. Uh, the vinyls that you've got, I thought, man, that might be something he'd be. Yeah, no, it's, it's in, good. In and again, have you have you seen a, a movie in that theater at the DIA? Mm-hmm. The, I oh, haven't. Awesome. It's so cool, dude. It's like the old school seats. You know, Allison, my fiance, is from the Upper Peninsula, and till recently, the movie theater up there was like the old school, like eighties kind of thing like no comfy chairs like nothing like I, w- I had a drink that i was carrying not a not booze but like something that i was carrying in and i was like oh i need to throw this out right and they were like no just don't spill it and i'm like wait what year is this is this the 80s right. what's going on here you know yeah. but i even saw the remake of carrie there so it was that that was recent ish you know that that thing was there yeah, we but, have uh, one in Grand Rapids because I'm in Grand Rapids and Chad's in in the Battle Creek area, and like we've got we've got one here, kind of a vintage one called Wealthy Theater, and they play you know uh, I don't know if they do midnight shows, you know, but I think that they do every every so often they'll have midnight shows. They have a lot of people come in for film festivals of different kinds, and so it's always and they and they're trying to keep that vintage feel to it all. Yeah, there was a period of time where Alice and I were heavily considering moving to Grand Rapids. Her brother lives out there. Oh, I love it. And I'm, oh, I love it, man. Yeah, it's amazing. We love we yeah. love it too. Yeah. Yeah. And just just the feel of the place. And it's so it's so artsy. Yeah. 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 There's a lot more to do there than there is Battle Creek, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. They actually have a record store. We don't even have one of those anymore. Or a or a bookstore. Oh no. What do you where do you go for that? Grand Rapids? Because Grand Rapids uh, that totally badass old school. It's it's not redo or whatever, it's next to Redux. It. There's one called Redux. Oh, yeah, Redux. Uh, That's yeah, right. yeah. And then, is that the one? What's the one next to it? Is, one is like more like specialized, and one is just like used books. Yeah, the one that's the one that's just used books. It's it's uh, and where they're stacked. I mean, you you walk in and they're they're all on the walls. They're stacked yeah. up on the bottom. You kind of got to get on the floor and peek yeah. around and crawl. Yeah. yeah, that that's Redux. That's that's like my home away from home. Yeah, that place. Yeah. I got, I got some killer horror. There's a lot of horror paperbacks back here, like a ton of them stacked up back there that I got some of them from there too. Yeah. We used to have a, a, a couple really cool bookstores here. One in particular called crickets. That was just giant man. Mm-hmm. And, and it just had room after room and you thought you were done looking through the whole thing. And then there'd be another little hallway and there'd be like three other little rooms. It was really cool, but uh, it closed down a little while ago and, they they sold comic books there too, but mostly uh, books, and they had all kinds of stuff, man. I that's where I got into like, comics, man. Is that yeah. like crickets? Yeah, that's how I. That's, I think I bought. I forget what it was. I don't know if it's Samurai Rabbit or what it was called, man. But it was like one of my first comic books I ever bought, and I just thought it looked so dope to have this rabbit knowing kung fu and slaying people left and right. I'm like, I don't know what this is, but it's awesome. So I got into that through crickets, and then yeah, crickets went away, man. It was gone. Yeah. It's a great name for a bookstore at Crickets. I don't know why, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had they had, uh, they had all the like all past issues of Fangoria in there. They even had like uh, they had some action figures in there too, like really obscure ones, like the Toxic Avenger, um, like Saturday morning cartoon show that I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of that show, but 
they had figures like uh and they would sell those in there and great bookstore man i wish one of my ultimate fantasies and this isn't supposed to be a segue to the movie but i feel like it kind of could work um is that is to open like a horror theater here in the area um like take an old school theater and it's like understood that's sort of like grand guinal that like a series of short plays horror plays will be really that's like the main idea like a horror theater and then in the front the lobby area would be like crickets like a like a like a used bookstore you know mm-hmm. that you walk through to get to the area in the back and then like like if if i ever did pull this off i would be like chad you got to write like a play for you know and come and cast it or whatever you want but like we'll, we'll put it on you know in this like place whatever maybe bands could play there i don't know that kind of thing and in the reason i was saying it was kind of a segue is that there was a lot in the movie that we that we're going to end up talking about that i felt was vaudevillian or theatrical it felt like grand Guinal, felt like horror theater um if you should i just start talking about what I, some of what i mean by that or do you want to like get there in a certain way well it, actually it does kind of segue into i know jeremiah had uh, a question specifically about your like readings a lot uh, of readings yeah the live readings and uh oh okay yeah yeah and- okay i i got you man I, all right yeah. yes i do have a question about this the, li- <laughs> the live readings yes all right well i watched the, i watched the documentary about you man which by the way is totally awesome called quilt the quilt of delirium and it's by scott allen a fellow what, what an amazing name too man I, and it is it, it I don't know if you thought of that beforehand or if it just came out organically, but when you said quilt of delirium, I was like, that's so smooth, man. That's like, <laughs> that's like sweet scotch. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're good. You know, but it was too. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned in there though, how these readings for, for your books. And I thought it was so fascinating. You know, uh, you admitted that you were nervous about things. You don't like, you know, a lot of public speaking and stuff like that, or you didn't, right. You weren't very comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And that you you blindfolded people, mm-hmm. uh, you had them blindfolded, and it kind of reminded me almost in a weird way of almost the kind of way that uh, Kurt Cobain dealt with his nervousness of being in front of people. He used to sing facing the wall during practice so that he didn't see the people who would yeah. congregate to watch him. He, he was nervous about it. No, it's really interesting, right? Because what you're what you're nervous about with stage fright isn't um, your voice or your thoughts or your ideas or it's what you look like when you're delivering them, like yeah. all eyes on you, like how it's like, oh my God, like, like Kurt Cobain, you just said he could face the wall and sing. So it's not your voice you're worried about. It's not the song. You just want the eyes on you and like to, to see you doing this. And, and I had for a long time, that was like a major struggle. And I don't know if I'll ever, I don't know if I'll ever be in a position where it is just me again, because of what, was born from those early bird box readings, which I was honest to God, dude, I was straight up trying to think of a way to not have to do this alone. Um, and I, I, you know, I play in a band, the high strong, and I asked some of them if they would play scary music and I'll play the organ. And even then I was like, what am I just going to read this? It's not like I have like a Vincent Price voice, you know, I don't know what am I doing? You know, Allison, <laughs> Mallory, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, there's something theatrical happening. And then it was like, Oh shit, wait a minute if we wanted to get a radio play, a radio show sort of vibe, the audience would maybe close their eyes. Well, guess what? The book is about blindfolds, Josh. So why don't we blindfold the audience? And it was just such like a no brainer. It just like un like unspooled in front of me. And I'm like, Oh, that's what we're doing. 
It wasn't like, should we? It was like, that's what we do. We're blind. Allison, we need to make a suitcase full of blindfolds. Allison and I toured around the state of Michigan and like the Midwest with like a, with a organ and this like old keyboard organ and a suitcase full of blindfolds in 2014. And I honestly, God, I felt at the time that, um, that it couldn't get any bigger or, 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 or better even than that. It was just, it was just felt like, it was like so bizarrely theatrical that we went to one bookstore in, was it Grand Rapids? No, 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 no. We were in Kentucky or something at this point. And the, the person that ran the bookstore was like, so we, uh, we heard that um, at one point the, the, the female in the show like screams uncontrollably like bloody horror. And, and is there any way that she can kind of keep that down today, like tone it down? And we were like, <laughs> no. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're like, yeah. The best moment of the freaking show is when, right. when, when Mallory, like her mind cracks in half and Allison like screams and everyone's blind and not expecting it, you know? So, so there was, let me just, I don't, I don't know. Hopefully we have unlimited time to talk. I don't mean it to go on and on, but there was one time where I had to read alone. And you guys know, um, Mio or Mayo. I think it's Mayo, right? Michigan. It's like up here somewhere. You guys I don't been there. No, okay. no. And Allison couldn't make it for whatever reason. And I was like, I'll, I'll just go do it alone. And I'm like totally nervous. It's like a 200 miles away. The whole drive, I'm like, oh, I gotta freaking do this. I'm gonna play the organ. I'm gonna blindfold the audience. This is kind of freaky, right? And I get up there, and the whole audience, it was a library, the whole audience was like 11 80 year olds. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, what am I? I don't even know what to do now. Should I just like read the book, you know? And then I was like, no, I'm just gonna do it. So I told him, listen, this is how we normally do it. I normally, and again, I have a suitcase full of blindfolds alone at this library in the middle of Michigan. And I'm like, usually a blindfold audience, they're like, okay. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I blindfold these 11, 80 year olds and I'm playing an organ, reading from Bird Box. This is 2014. And when it was done, this older guy, it was a man. Yeah, he said, that, you know, that was exactly like radio shows from my youth. That was yeah. like really cool. And I was like, dude, this was, yeah. It was sort of a turning point for me in the stage fright thing that you brought up. Now, to condense the rest of this story, the readings have only gotten more and more elaborate from there. Stage settings, props, um, actors, performers, but I'm always aware of never bringing it all the way to memorize lines because then that's just straight up theater. I still want it to be a reading. So right. to, there's someone narrating these like scenarios, but yeah. So the, again, there are elements of November that struck that chord with me in a big way. I mean, you could even just say the, you know, the ghosts are just wearing white and painted white faces, right? I mean, that's just as old school theater as you can get, right? I am right, yeah. Or the play with the painted black face, like now I am death and dies, you know. Like, I thought it was so. There was such a fascinating thing that you were talking about, and part of that's that you know I I've been involved in radio, and so I growing up, one of my favorite things I used to make with cassette tapes. You know what I mean? I I would uh, put the old cassette player. I had what, what was it called, man? The uh, the talk boy, the talk boy, I think was the device that was used in home alone and they could change oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I had, I had yeah. a talk boy and I would put that right next to the TV and I would record those old episodes of Batman from the sixties and seventies. Right. And I'd record those and I would listen to them at night 
you know, because I didn't have a TV in my room or anything. So I'd, I would just push play and just listen to the recording on the cassette tape of the TV show. That... And then as I got older, I started to think, you know, like, well, what goes into radio? And I went to school for uh, uh, mass com and journalism. And so if for theory and, and for uh, practice of it. And so during that time to become familiar with vaudeville, for example, to become familiar with the idea of live recordings back then, where th there was a lot of reading, in fact, what you're talking about, uh, there was a lot of that. You'll see the, uh, you know, people go on and they uh, look up pictures of the people who are talking in real time. Uh, the music and the sound effects were were all in real time and the person talking was in real time. But a lot of times those individuals were reading. So they had their script right in front of them. Yep. And they're reading it. And uh, some of them were in front of live audiences. And so when you were talking about the way that you were doing this, and you've already answered my question, I was going to ask if you've, if you've built on it and where the limit was. And so you said the limit, uh, it seems to be, is the no memorization. You know, you don't memorize it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, and you know, again, back to the horror theater idea, like I want to do it. I want to, I don't necessarily have to be the guy writing those, those, those plays or whatever, the anthology, the, the play that runs that night, whatever. If I do, though, yes, okay, now we're talking, like, we're putting on a show at theater, blah, blah, blah. But if we're talking about a book release, I just don't want it ever to, I want to stretch the book reading as far as we can go. And so start with me in that library with <laughs> 11, 80-year-olds. Go there with inspection. <laughs> inspection, we rented out the chapel and the Masonic Temple. We had, like, filming, a film crew. We had uh, lighting and photographs and actors and all. I mean, the setting was mind-blowing. Mallory, which I'll just kind of say it features a train at one point. Well, the Detroit Zoo has a train that we have rented out for the reading to take place, like, on this train. As everyone's, like, blindfolded as it's going, like, around the Detroit Zoo and stuff. There's a lot more involved than just that. But now we're talking about a moving setting but it's still reading the book. There's still like a narrator, even if that's pre-recorded, like, like your story, even if it's pre-recorded and we just play it. And then Allison and I, and everyone, one of the beauties of everyone being blindfolded is like, you know, Allison, I can get other things done while the reading is happening. You know what I mean? We can set up the next thing or something. Let's say, when they get off the train, there needs to be ropes set up here for them, for them to follow to hear. Oh, Alice and I can take care of that while they're listening to this, whatever. I just wanted to say real fast, though, that um, that's an interesting thing because a lot of artists will look for those breadcrumbs that led to them being an artist. Oh, I wrote a really long paper or I used to sing for Family Gathering. That story of you with the radio thing is really interesting for a guy that that's your breadcrumb. To, to that they got into radio. That's a cool thing to, it's like, you've always been into this. That's a cool thing to, to have. It's like yours yeah. with uh Jewish basketball. Yeah. And that story. Yeah. And I, I would love to pick your brain another time, man, and ask you about that Jewish basketball league. And I can't wait for you to write a book about your life. Uh, and, and that way you'll be able to, to go into great detail about the, the amazing night that that led to what 30 or 40 pages of handwritten yeah. stuff about this basketball game in a league. I didn't even know there was a such thing as Jewish basketball leagues. You, yeah, you, travel, yeah, it was unbelievable, dude. Travel yeah. league. You, 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 you still have to try out and stuff, but it wasn't like high school. It just wasn't. It was loose, you know? Yeah. It was like, I think they probably hoped that only 15 kids tried out because they wanted everyone to play, you know? <laughs> but yeah, that was, that's my, that's my breadcrumb is that moment, that kind of thing where when, because, you know, we all, 
yeah, I don't know. You, it's romantic or something to think that you've always had this in you. You know, it's almost like not embarrassing, but you don't want to be like, oh, one day I just started liking uh, books. You know, it's it's cool to like look back and see that you've like always had this in you or mm-hmm. something. And at the yeah. time, junior in high school, writing forty pages or whatever was was pure adrenaline. It was I wasn't thinking I'm going to be a writer. It was just. <laughs> And years later, I'm like, oh, shit, that's where it started. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. Uh, it, it's always uh, nice to have some kind of uh, genesis to, to be able to tell somebody or even reflect back on and say, yeah, this is, this is where I came from. See, that goes back again to author as character. That, that's a big thing for me. You can almost argue that every book I read is nonfiction because what I'm really am reading is the author writing this mm-hmm. and and i really it's almost like you can i can imagine like the words traveling up like a transparent pane and behind it the author is sitting there the whole time and he's not like he or she is not like staring at me or staring at me down but like he or she is there and i'm very aware of that character this is why this has got me in trouble sometimes because i'm not like you know i'm not necessarily the hugest um what's the right phrase proponent of like oh it's got to be character driven you empathize with the character all this i get the characters number one and i get that that's what everyone relates to most but what if you include the artist as a character as well like when i see a tarantino movie i'm not or 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 a hitchcock movie i'm not necessarily like um you know empathizing with the lead and the birds you know but i am with hitchcock I'm thinking yeah. about him the whole freaking time that he decided to do this and this, and he des- he made these decisions and and the you know. So to me, it's almost in a weird way that every single artistic experience I have is, in a sense, it's nonfiction. I'm just watching the judgment scale of an artist at play. It's almost yeah. like Gonzo, like Hunter S. Thompson, Gonzo journalism, where the the you he was forthright about the idea that. A uh, the writer is is a character, right? Yeah. And that you can't you can't separate certain uh, biases that you might have. You know that you will make decisions. You're making decisions on angles and emphases and all these other things that are at play in the story that you're presenting. Yeah, and you're not you're not this abstraction out there that's detached from the story and it's right. a, a, a conduit that's just passively it's flowing through you. That you're you're inactive. Pardon, and it's kind of almost like the same idea of of uh, um, discerning the voice of the narrator, um, yeah. which I'm seeing in Mark Twain. I'm reading. I'm reading the um, Tom Sawyer right now to my son. I'm reading it out loud because we were doing the homeschool stuff. You know, the kids are home <laughs> during the yeah. plague, so we're all home, and so I'm reading out loud. I'm reading Tom Sawyer to him, and it's amazing to see. Because uh, Mark Twain was so good at you at, at making the people speak with a, a a dialect, right, in an accent with this, that the narrator doesn't. The narrator, it was amazing to see, and, and I I was explaining to my son how that works. But the way that you're talking about it, it's like extrapolating it and saying, well, what about beyond the narrator? Yeah, because it, you, the writer is also making those decisions regarding the narrator. Well, I yeah. think, well, like part of the reason we love artists like that we do is because like like that they came up with this, that they thought of this, you know, it's not, it's funny because the inverse is true too. Like any idea is good if it's, if it's executed well. Right. 
but I, I am like the kind of guy, like I'm, you know, just a huge fan of the conceit. And then we were talking earlier about, you know, with books and, and being able to sense that, 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 that launching point, that inspiration for writing a book. I'm just like, you know, take like the Twilight Zone. Like we don't walk away from the Twilight Zone like torn up. We're not like, oh God, I'm emotionally gutted. We're like, that's a freaking badass idea. You know, and that's maybe like the best TV show of all time. And like, and we like, we, we don't walk away from that. Like, 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 Oh, I'm so worried about him or her or crying. We don't cry at the end of the twilight zone. We're just like our lids blown a little. Yeah. And so I don't see this as an egocentric thing. I like, I also don't think it's necessary. I love Thomas Harris and Thomas Ligotti. They're both, you know, Bentley little, they're all, none of them are spotlight, you know, hounds or, Whatever, right? I don't even know if I've ever even seen Thomas Ligotti, right? And, but for me, that's, that's like, it's not ego. It's like, it's here either way. It's not like, it's not like I want to be the center. I'm, it's like, I'm aware that we're all, all these books on my shelf are all ideas. We're once just invisible ideas in a guy or girl's head. And that part of it is so interesting to me. Yeah. When, when I, uh, when I first started writing, it was important to me that um, I didn't want to, uh, the only ideas I had were darker, like horror ideas, but I knew at the same time that I didn't want to always be only writing that. And I wanted to be able to be like Joe Lansdale, where it did, I didn't quite understand how that was going to happen, but that's what I wanted. You know, like uh, McCammon has done it too. And, yeah. and or Stephen King, you know, whether he's written a stand in Salem's Lot or then, Eyes of the Dragon and uh, or Shawshank or something like that, but particularly Lansdale. And that was super important to me to um, be able to somehow get there. And I didn't understand it for a while. And now I do that. It was about that voice, you know, just that as long as you, that voice stays with like Lansdale, I could hand you, you know, a, um, a Western or a horror or, or, you know, the drive-in or <clears throat> a crime book or a uh, bizarro stuff and, and not tell you who it is and then have you read it. And you'll be like, this is Lansdale. doesn't, oh, doesn't man. even matter. And that was uh, you real fast. I'm, I'm right now I'm reading Peter Straub's houses without doors. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Ooh, that looks good right now. The lighting on it. And it's, um, I absolutely love it. It's like shorter stuff. It's novellas, that kind of thing. So I'm this far away this ending far away from starting the bottoms. I've never read it by Lansdale. Is it, yeah. like, is that one just like, holy? I, I haven't read the bottoms, but I read the short story that, um, that came, I think came before that. And then he turned it into the bottoms and just made it, you know, longer. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Um, I didn't even know that until Joe told me that he's like, well, have you read the bottoms? And I was like, no. And it's, and it's basically the same thing, but you know, like the, the novel version of it. And man, that story uh, was great. Yeah, I read By Bizarre Hands, that collection of short stories. Some of that was like, I'm not, and I don't mean to like make a, put, put like a draw a line in the sand or something, but I'm not that big on brutality. It's just at some point, maybe brutality became like too realistic in film. I don't know what it is. I really don't know what it is, but I think it was the movie Martyrs actually, like messing <laughs> up or something. Yeah. And I was like, ever since then, I've been like, yeah, I don't really, like, Alice and I were watching Daredevil and then I was really liking it. And then there's this scene where the, they're slamming this guy's head in a car door like over and over. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I just don't want to watch this. I definitely don't want to watch. Hold on. Oh no. Well, I think you're about to have a visitor here, buddy. Do you want to say hi? Come here. Oh yeah. Come here. <laughs> hi. Oh wow. 
<laughs> look yep. at that. You look good. Yeah. Oh shit. They're both in here. I'm gonna I may have to go. <laughs> okay, look between them both. What kind what kind of dog, man? So Valo is a Weimariner. Yes. Our neurotic, brilliant Weimariner. And this is Tuli, our really sweet Visla. What what kind is the second one? Visla. A Visla. They look like Almost exactly the same, but um, Vistas actually came first. Wine riders, I think, were like bred off them or something. Hey, Allison, she's listening to Outlander in headphones, so yeah. I'm gonna have to remove these two on my own. Do you guys want to? You know, okay. Well, um, give me one second. All right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Was it was it us, Chad? Was it the, the two of us that were uh, making making a video or a podcast when my Saint Bernard was down here? Or was that another show? It may have been. I may have been doing a different show. That wasn't me. It wasn't you, man. I'll tell you, I, I had I, I was sitting there and we we're having this conversation. I hear this crazy noise, man. I'm downstairs in a in the basement. You know, I've got my set down here, so that way it's insulated from the. I have a bunch of kids, and so <laughs> the noises and everything you can pick it up with these microphones. So I'm down here, you know, and I'm hearing this crazy noise. And I'm like, well, dude, what's going on, man? It's kind of spooking me. You know, it's all dark over in the corner. I'm getting kind of spooked. And I look over and it's my, I got a St. Bernard, man. Oh, she's, you do? Oh, yeah. She's oh, huge. Awesome. Her name's Coco. And so, yeah, she's uh, she's a beautiful, beautiful beast. About four years old. It's, it, actually, it's interesting because that kind of small for uh, the breed. I guess the, the girls are like 120 to 140 pounds. And the, oh. and the, and the boys are like 160 to 180. Oh. And ours is 95. So she's like a runt. Oh, she's so she's. But oh. she, she's a run to, at 95 pounds. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was eight and she's like, I mean, she can like knock me over when I'm like walking around. I'm like, I can't even imagine 180 or 160, man. Yeah. Like, we, we, we have a, we have a newfie across the street. We have uh, we, our neighbors for Christmas. They got a, a great Dane, just gigantic dog. I mean, oh, dwarfs. Yeah. yeah it is just massive. And then awesome. the ones next to them, the neighbors next to them just got a newfie. So our our block has gigantic dogs. Yeah. Your your block is protected. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted a dog. Yeah, that's yeah, my son I got my son a dog and that's I don't know why she's in here but um I wanted to I wanted to build some hype for Mallory man. So I wanted to ask you a couple questions before before we uh I would love to. Yeah. Um so I, yeah, I read Bird Box like four years ago. Loved it. Great book. Um, Thank you. And I, I'm wondering, because of the world that you've built, there's so much potential to explore. I mean, that was just an isolated you know, incident. And so before the success of the book, were you already entertaining the idea of maybe doing another one? Or did that come secondary to just seeing the demand of, of that, like the movie and everything? So the original rough draft of Bird Box was about twice as long. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot, a lot of stuff to talk about with that, but I'll, I'll keep it somewhat brief. It was about twice as long. And when I was paring it down, I got rid of a thread that I loved. But they're just, and you'll know this in your own stuff, there just wasn't room for it, man. Yeah. If I left this in there, oh, my God, hello. <laughs> if I left it in there, then, I mean, it, it would have had to been like 100 something like pages more, you know? Like just to work and just to it just you got rid of all the like dun, 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 tension of it and added a whole new like idea. So I got rid of it. So forever, my agent had said like, "Hey, have you ever considered a second one of this?" You know, and it's not like 
it's not like Bird Box came out as like a you know New York Times bestseller or something when it, it first came out. It was all that from the movie, but it wasn't at first for like four years or four and a half, whatever. But she was always like, have you thought of, I'm like, well, I got, I got one idea. And then people would, would suggest like, have you ever thought of maybe like what's going on in India? What's going on? Like in some other part of Michigan, whatever. Cause to me, Bird Box was always the monsters that I do on Maple street, which is like twilight zone, you know, yes. it's just the most contained this street, this house, right, right. This boat, this woman, these kids, that's like, that's it. And it was, I never even thought of it as end times. I just thought of it as this problem in this house and in this boat, or canoe, mm-hmm. rowboat, whatever. And so I had like the, an idea, but I've also got a million ideas. And I've written 32 novels now. And I've got short stories and a list of other stuff I want to write. And so it was like, yeah, no, I, I might do that. But no, no, yeah, not yet. No, 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 not yet. And then... Allison and I were at the premiere. We went to the premiere of Bird Box. Um, we were at the Netflix office, and the screening room was called the Upside Down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've never been to something like this before. And we were in, you know, just they were like nice theater chairs, I guess, but there's only like eight in the whole thing, and there was no previews, nothing. It's just the movie, just the lights go out, movie starts, you know. And right away, Sandra Bullock is like telling his kids, like, you know, kneeling in front of them, like in the book. And I was like, oh, this, what's going on right now? Like, I hadn't seen any of this footage or anything, you know? Yeah. And at the end of the movie, I mean, I was like justifiably like like emotional as hell during this, right? And at the end of it, I announced her and I was like, well, now what happens to her? And she's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I think that's up to you. And I'm like, well, no, but I want to know. I want like more of this, this. Yeah. And so then without any like, you know, foreknowledge or preparation or whatever, the movie was insane phenomenon explosion um that wow i can give you examples of how ill prepared we were for that but just suffice to say we nobody thought that was coming and then the book becomes a bestseller and all this and my agent again is like so you want to write that thread (laughs) and i'm like uh yeah maybe maybe i will so it's a bit of a combination it was having this thread on me for a long time and then the movie does super well and it's like, yes, do it now is the right time. Just do it right now. And then move on. Like, as you know, I'm already writing Carpenter's farm right now, whatever. So, but the weird thing is, is that I wrote that thread into a novel. And then I, we were on the fourth rewrite, me and the editor at Delray. We were at the line edit already. We were, this was beyond macro stuff, you know? And I said to her, I'm like, you know what? I, I, I think I got a better idea. I think I want to scratch the thread again. <laughs> He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I think I think you got a better idea. And I scratched it. I freaking got rid of it again. Wow. And wrote entirely. I, I count that as one of my, one of my 32 books I've written because it is, it's a full 300 yeah. novel. That is not at all Mallory, but it has Mallory in it. Wow. So, so I started it again. And that process went like like that. It was like I sent the editor every ten thousand words, and and like you know just like because we were past like I was supposed to do the line edit. We were like we're supposed to be done, and I was like Mm -hmm. throw it over the plate one more time. I'm gonna get a hold of it this time, you know. Like I I didn't get it the first time. I'm gonna get it this time, and I did. I well, I believe I did, and and so it's very interesting to me to see 
that thread died twice. And I held on to it for years, man. You know, you have an, you have an idea right now you've had for years. Oh, yeah. I've, I've held on to that thread for years. And I was like, you finally made it. Uh, oh, shit. No, you didn't. You're now relegated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can talk about this, but I'm assuming that with the success of Bird Box, that uh, maybe they're already poking at you for the film rights to Mallory. So we don't we don't really know yet. Um, there's I don't mean to say this to sound PC or whatever. We have, there's nothing to announce, but we don't know for sure exactly where that's all at. We've talked to the producers and and we've heard that Netflix loves the book and stuff like that. But that's we don't know we don't know anything much beyond that right now. I, I mean, because I know how, I mean, look at some of the sequels we've gotten just because something got big. Even if the movie wasn't that great, yeah, it wasn't, wor it wasn't worthy of a sequel. They just like shoehorned something in, you know? Yeah. Your your thing is just, like I said, perfect because yeah. it was an isolated, yeah. you know, situation. Um, there's other stories going on, but I mean, yeah, I know you're sticking with, you know, your, your, the same protagonist that you had, Mallory. But um, there's just so much that you can go off. But uh, yeah, I've seen the, them jump. It's, if something sells the first time, it's like they got to make, they've got to, or, or do a remake. And the remakes that they're doing now, they only have to be, I think Cabin Fever got a remake, like what, six or seven years after the original. They're, yeah, they're no, that's crazy. Gr grudge again. I don't, I don't know how many times that's been remade. I know. It really is wild, man. I know that Cabin Fever one really was yeah, it's like it's going on all of a sudden. Now we're talking about like, like six or seven years or whatever it was. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that was a weird one, man. It may have not even been that long. I'm not really sure. Yeah, um, I mean, I, you know, in like my reality, I'm like, well, they got to do it, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm like thinking. Right. <laughs> but, but we don't know. We don't know for sure if that's true or not. So. It would break but, my heart, man. It, it would go down. It would be. There'd be like a handful of shows and films in history where it just set itself up perfectly to keep going and it didn't. Kind of like District 9. You know what I'm saying? Like District 9, it, it ends off on this thing where you're anticipating it's going to come back in a couple of years and three years. It's been like, you know, 12 yeah. years or something. I mean, it's something ridiculous. And so it, it's, it's so frustrating to see, or I know this is a little bit off the wall, but stuff like uh, Firefly or Angel. You know, TV shows even where yeah. you, you you have this this show or this movie that you really love and you really get into it. And it seems as if it's just set up perfectly for another episode. Oh, yeah. Like it's ready to happen. A sequel to this bad boy. I'm in. And then you're like, oh, no, we're just going to let it go. They can't do that, man. You know, what? Yeah, the, they can't do that, that to you, buddy. The one that hurts <laughs> me is uh, yeah. Deadwood. Ooh, Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah. Deadwood. Good, man. Yeah. Genius, man. <laughs> oh, man. I yeah. could have watched like six, seven, eight, ten more years of that stuff, man. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you something, man, about the method. Okay. Uh, and I'm not going to ask you if you wrote this by hand. I know that you've done that for a number of things. In fact, you, a friend of yours talked about how you've got this huge stack, in fact, of these, these hard copy books that you've done written by hand. Um, or if you lock yourself in your room for any period of time or things like that. But I, I went, I was reading, a an interview with, uh, bookish over at USA today with you. And they asked you a question on, uh, whether you'd done any real life experiments to discover the other senses and things like that. And you'd mentioned how you walked around the apartment a couple of times and, uh, with your eyes closed and you have these finches. Right. And you brush them against your hand or, or your neck or your face. 
um, and that that had that's what you had done. Did you did you do any more for this book? Did you did you do anything? Because I think you did exceptionally well for, <laughs> for for doing very limited real life type experiments. But since that time, yeah. since your interview with Bookish, is that something you pursued, yeah. or did you just kind of go with what you had I, before? I can't even believe that, that the answer to that is no, because. I, I remember um, at the end of Verbox and when it came out thinking like, why didn't I ever just take one walk around the block? Blindfold? Just one. Like I could have <laughs> yeah. a girlfriend or like my brother, just like somebody next to me and like make sure I'm okay. You know, recently um, at the zoo, Allison walked a really long way with her eyes closed. It was just something weird to do. And, <laughs> and I guided her. I'm like, okay, now just walk a little bit to the left. And I mean, we're talking like this went on for almost six, seven minutes or something. And that's a long time to walk with your eyes closed. And, but I know the one thing I did do with Mallory is that Bird Box was written in the third, um, like the, I don't even know what you would call it, but the third floor of like this old mansion in Detroit, this old super awesome big house. And there was up there, there was like a sort of a ballroom, a bedroom, a bathroom and a kitchen. And that was the whole thing. The desk, the writing desk was in the middle of this ballroom. I wrote Bird Box there. I had a bunch of birds that were flying freely around the apartment. And then, hold on, can you hear the dogs trying to get Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait, Allison. Um, <laughs> hold on. They're starting to go crazy. They're like, let me in. All right, hold on. Yeah, take your time, man. No, no, no worries. Hey, can you do something about these lunatic animals of ours? You're on the air, kind of, by the way. Uh, uh, sure. Okay. Uh, the baby? I don't, yeah. That, it's either the two of them or there's a werewolf in the house. Uh, <laughs> All right. Thank you. I love you. Love you. Yeah. So, Jeremiah, what have you been uh, checking out on, on the screen or reading or whatever? You get anything? Well, I finished uh, Inferno, and I finished in Purga uh, uh, Purgatorio by wow. Dante. And so I read both of those, and right now I'm on Paradiso, and it's it's excellent, of course. I loved, I loved Inferno. In fact, it's one of the most ballsy things I've ever read in my life because he's writing about real a lot of real people. <laughs> so people who were alive. I don't, I don't know if anyone were alive at the time that he wrote it, but I thought, and I said, you know— some of these people were, were princes or cardinals of the church or the Pope and stuff, you know, go, going through these levels of hell. And I said, that'd be like talking about presidents, you know, or, and then Billy Graham was, was in this level of hell, you know, eat, you know, eating through somebody and the body yeah. was going into his mouth. And I just thought it was really intense that this guy, you know, that he, that he wrote that way, but I, I absolutely loved it. I love the difficulty with it. And I'd like to read some different translations. I wish I could do it in Italian. I cannot. Uh, I'm learning Latin. But I, I I don't know Italian, but the the thing is is that um, I, I like the the meter and the 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 rhyme scheme, right? And there's a I don't know if it's tears of rima or what the the proper way of uh, describing it, but it's in sets of threes, right? And so it's an interesting rhyme scheme, and the idea of it is that it's constantly just barreling along. It doesn't it doesn't have the the kind of roses are red, violets are blue. I love my wife, she loves me too where it gets that sense of resolve. You know, you start, it's, it's almost like music. You start with a root note and you end with the root note and that's the sense of completion. And instead this, this system that Dante uses 
is constantly marching forward, marching forward, marching forward. And it just doesn't stop until the very end of the canto. And so I'm reading that. And then uh, my, my cousin wanted me to watch that movie Mother. And so he wanted me to watch it. And so I watched it. And he, 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 hoping to do maybe even with with the show here, doing a thing, uh, having him come on and, and talking about the the movie and his thoughts on it. But I as I watched it, I thought, you know, it's interesting. I know that it's a criticism of the Judeo-Christian God. right? I know that's in part what it's about. But I said, man, there's a lot of these kind of Gnostic themes that run through that. Not and not only through that, but also through Noah. You know, I've read I've read reviews and analysis of uh, of Noah. And so I went, I have this book and because we're doing a video, I can, I can show it. Check this out for, for those listening on the podcast, you got to go check it out. Yeah. You know, it's called the, the other Bible That's and cool. it's, it's huge. It's massive. And it's got the Gnostic gospels, Dead Sea Scrolls, visionary wisdom texts, Kabbalah, Christian Apocrypha, Judas Pseudepigrapha, all that. And so uh, going and reading the creation myths uh, that, that he would be relying on uh, heavily when writing this. And so I said, well, why not just go and read it? You know? And, and so that way I kind of have a better idea for the exact, uh, myths that he's falling back on That's awesome. in order to make the movie. And so I've been reading the other Bible and I've been reading Dante, man, the Dante rhythm thing is like screaming to me right now because my, my favorite writers are the ones that kind of like, just like, Moby Dick is one of the most spirited books I've ever read in my life. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Walt Whitman, like people that seemed like uh, the beats were like this, but just literally seemed like they were like freaking on fire while they were writing it. I want to read Dante now. I, I, I read that. If I read it, it was because I was supposed to in high school. You know what I mean? Uh, but I've never yeah. like actually sat down and yeah. given myself to that. And that, that sounds like exactly what I want to read right now. Yeah. So what, what have you been reading, Josh? Um. So, you know, it's interesting because I am reading some horror and I just read Stephen Graham Jones. Oh man, I can't wait to read that one. Dude, yeah, this is, whew, this is unbelievable. In fact, from what I've read, I mean, it's, I, I don't really think in blanket terms like this, but this is his best one from what I've read. And yeah. That's, as you know, that's saying a lot, dude. This guy. Yeah. yeah. Right? I've been reading Peter Straub, as I showed you. Um, mm -hmm. which is, I'm loving every second of that. I just read Wonderland. Okay. Do you, do you know how to say it? Is it Zoe or Zoji? I think it's probably Zoe. I, I think. Yeah, sure. sure. How do you spell it? How do you spell that? Z O I E. No, Z O J E. Oh, J E. Oh. Zoe. Yeah, I don't know. I should just write her and ask her because there's been a few times where I've been in uh, interviews and I want to like talk about her and I don't. I just don't know how to pronounce her name. But the book's great. Could it be I, a Z instead of a Z? Like like uh, isn't it Zizak? Isn't there a guy? Forget it. Forget that guy's name. Debated Jordan Peterson over socialism and capitalism. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think I saw that. Yeah. And this is the the surprise to me. Now I met him in um, Chicago, and Chicago was super interesting because it was like the last time I hung out with a bunch of people, and before all this happened, mm -hmm. and so like this, at the Comic Con in Chicago and. Um, I met Joe Hill there and Christina Henry and others. And it was, you know, we went from a panel and everyone's in this bar and whatever. And everyone says goodbye to each other. Alice and I drive back home. And then this all happened like right after that. So it's almost like Chicago's become this like, like sort of how things used to be, 
like moment for me. And I met Terry Brooks while we were there and lunch with him. And then we also had dinner. All the Del Rey authors went out and I freaking loved him and his wife. And I'm like, you know what? I almost never read fantasy. I'm going to do it. Right. And I Mm -hmm. plowed through the sort of Shannara and now I'm reading book two, the Elstones of Shannara. And I'm discovering, um, and this is in step with me watching Outlander that I had mentioned before, is that fantasy is kind of a nice thing to read during a pandemic, man. Like I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't necessarily read to escape. I, I really yeah. don't. It's more to like live it and think about it and think of the author and ideas and whatever. But yeah. but and, but I'm a one of the reasons I love horror is because it's the imagination unchained. Like totally, anything goes. Literally, whatever the, whatever you want. Fantasy is too, but it's a little warmer. And like right now, I don't think I realized that like I, I like needed that or something. So like, right. Taylor Brooks, I got another of his books right here, like waiting to go next. Where a lawyer buys like a Magic Kingdom that doesn't work or something. <laughs> but the point is like, yeah, I mean, I've never been huge on fantasy, but I'm finding myself like. Wow, this is really this is really nice right now. It's the imagination still run loose, just a little freaking warmer, and and yeah, no yeah. hero brutality or that kind of thing. So that's yeah. what, that's what I've been at. What about you? A comfort cozy read. Uh, I've been reading um, uh, Calamity, which is a western by uh, Matt Hayward. It's not out yet. Um, I think he gave it to me a couple or sent it to me a couple uh, months ago, and it's basically. Uh, he, he mentions in the beginning it's it's for Jack Ketchum and it basically is a it feels like anyway I'm about a, a third of the way through it feels like a um, a retelling of Red by Jack Ketchum but in set in Western times and using a horse so, oh, like someone shoots yeah. the guy's horse and then he goes and tracks him down yeah and here's the here's the cover of my Kindle which that's all you get because the book's not out <laughs> the book's not out so. <laughs> it's on there and I'm reading it on there, but that's, uh, I'm still reading, uh, I, after discovering Ron Rash, I'm still reading that short story collection that I, that I think I mentioned in the last episode. That guy's amazing. A darker Jack Ketchum or uh, excuse me, a darker Raymond Carver, a, a, a less dark Jack Ketchum, Ron Rash. You can't have a darker Jack Ketchum. It doesn't exist. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, darker Raymond Carver, lighter Jack Ketchum, much lighter. Mm-hmm. Jack Ketchum, but yeah, that's that's uh, really all I've been reading. I'm trying not to read so many different things at a time because then I get, I get, uh, I do this thing where I do the same thing with writing. I have like, um, like maybe four or five deadlines coming up from anthology invites, and then I've got a couple co-writing projects, and my plate got so full that I start to freeze and not do anything. Yeah. I know, I know, man. I know. It's like. It's just wiser to say no, like if you have to, whatever. Just because it, it means that you're going to be more present for all the things that you're already doing. Like, yeah, you say yes to everything, you kind of saying no to everything also. But it's just it's part of my mindset. So when I when I read more than a couple books, and I've got so many going on, then I tend to like stop reading for a while because I start to feel overwhelmed. And yeah, me too. I'm 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 like that too. Yeah, I I, yeah. I almost feel like reading and writing. You have to be in reading or writing shape for it. And yeah. if I stop reading for like a month, then it's like same thing if you didn't go to the gym or something. Like it's not so easy to just jump back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're running every, if you're running or writing or reading every day, it's like it just keeps going. 
Yeah. So, Jeremiah, have you been watching any series or, or seen any oh. movies other than November? Oh, man. Yeah, bro. Uh, you you set me down this crazy path, man. Oh, this David weird, weird world. I'm, I'm still not out of it, man. I'm literally stuck in this labyrinth of Lynch all over the place. And, oh, yeah, man. We did, you know, as our... Uh, viewers and listeners know our first episode was about Wild at Heart, a David Lynch movie. And that led me to this place where I said, well, you know, I've seen Eraserhead. I've seen that picture all my life. You know, I've seen yeah. this picture. And so I said, man, it always looked really cool. And it always looked like something I'd want to watch. And I watched it. And I mean, it's like it's like uh, it's like taking a lot of LSD, man. It's a it's a really crazy trip. You, you got to be in a certain mental space to really watch it and stick through. But it's it was awesome. I loved it. And it, that got me into watching these weird experimental films. I think last week I mentioned the love of zero, right. Or the, the future cinema one that was just really yeah. bizarre, but, but all of this, it kept going back to one place, man. And it went back to this place called twin peaks. And so I have just, I went head first dude right into it. And I watched, I think in the last week I have watched the entire season from the nineties, the, the first eight of the first season and all, uh, what was it? 22 of the second season. I have not seen the movie with David Bowie. I haven't seen that, but I, I skipped over that and went to the, the season, the third season, the one that came out in 2017. And I'm watching that and I'm on 15 out of 18 right now. Just unbelievable stuff, man. It, it's, and you got to give it up to him. I mean, it's so bizarre. And you were right. I, when I mentioned I wanted to watch the third one, you said, look, you can't. This isn't really one for the kiddies. Right? Mm, yeah. It's not for the old kiddos. And and uh, there is some nudity. Right. In fact, right from the beginning, I think the first episode, you've got some. Yeah. Uh, and then I, you know, maybe episode three. And then you don't have anything, actually, for another eight episodes or something. And so uh, so there's not it's not like every episode is packed with it, but it's so different from what people would ordinarily see watching TV. Mm -hmm. And I think he's always done that, that he's always blended. He's, he's done amazingly at blending the, the, the film with television and making it so that you're in that weird tension where you feel like you're watching a movie, but you know, you're watching TV mm -hmm. and it's this weird existential <laughs> thing you're in watching it. And, and the, the cinematography, the, 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 the way that he does what he does, Lynch, I just got to say, I mean, he, he's he's a genius, an artistic genius. And and I love it. And the episode eight and, I, you know, I'll talk. Maybe I'll do a live stream someday about it, uh, about episode eight and just how weird the whole thing, the whole hour is is a Lynch. It's what my kids call it. When it when, when something gets really weird, they're like, yep, that's a Lynch. Right. Yeah, that's that's like the moment. The whole episode is that. And it stands out. In fact, in the history of television, it stands out from anything else that's ever been done at, at that level. And um, just, I love it. So I'm really grateful, man, it, that this led to, to this place because Twin Peaks has quickly become one of my favorite. And I'll say this last thing. I love the, the show Psych, okay? And I remember watching, we watched the whole, the whole series, everything of Psych, uh, even, even the, the movie where they did a musical. And while we were watching, there was a, a one episode that just really stood out. I didn't get it. It was real weird. They went to this town called Dual Spires and they went there and it's got this. There, there's there's a, a lady with a log. Right. What's this all about? And there's all these weird things. It starts out. There's a, a chocolate bunny on the desk and there's all of these things. And then at the end, the music that they're playing and the people dancing in this diner. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this? 
it was like the 30th anniversary of uh, Twin Peaks or the 20th. I'm so sorry. It'd be, it would have it been the 20th, the 20th anniversary of Twin Peaks. And it was Sean, the guy who does the main or the main character. I, I forget his name offhand. It's his it's his favorite TV show. Major time influence on his life and on the show. So in honor of that, they did it. And all together, I think the last scene, which took place in a diner where they're dancing around, there's cuckoo-ness going on all in this diner. They said that there were over 700 references meant to point to something to do with the show. So uh, when we watched it the second time through, my kids were like, well, there's the sheriff, right? Oh, man, there's Bobby. Oh, my gosh. Look, he's this character. Wow, there's the library. And all of a sudden, everything, even the chocolate bunny at the beginning, even the sympathetic crying that Gus has, all of that began to make sense. And it was just, it was really cool. So I've been watching. I'm almost done with season three. Where where do you watch uh, Twin Peaks on? Uh, uh, Prime. Oh, really? Or is it Netflix? Is one of the two. It's on Netflix. The third season is not on Netflix. I don't know where that is. I got it on Prime because we have uh, Showtime. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the plunge, man. It's always been a gap. Yeah, man. Always been a gap for me for, and and like, we all have them, you know, for some reason. I just never read this guy, never read this girl, never saw, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Twin Peaks has always been a major gap for me where it just, it, it just sounds like everything I'm into is is you know it, it element and elements of it are there. I'm 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 gonna do it. I'm gonna read Dante also. Yeah, you. you got yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> so Along for the ride with yeah with with Josh. Yeah, doing good. Yeah. Have you been uh, streaming anything? Watching anything, Josh? Yeah, but uh, like I said before, Outlander. Allison's on book like five of it. Um, and she's like seems like really into it, right? So finally, I'm like, all right, fine. I'll watch a I'll watch an episode. And I was like, oh, this is. This is pretty interesting. Do you guys know what it's about? Outlander? Is it is it sci- sci-fi? It's like it's borderline romance, but okay. it's um it's so well written and so well thought out that I'm finding myself like this is like this is amazing. It's um a woman in the like 40s, mid 40s um uh ends up like stepping through like, you know, one of those like occult like stones in like, you know, Scotland, you know, that like takes her back to the 1700s and it's her experience there. And then, and that, and, and there's like a lot of like steamy sex and love and all this like stuff. And that all sounds kind of like, yeah, I don't know. That sounds like, like, like for weeks or whatever, while Allison's reading, I'm like, all right, I don't know. Maybe I'll watch an episode of Outlander. It's, it's just really freaking well done. And again, it goes back to, again, to the fantasy trip I'm on where I'm not obviously, I'm also reading horror at the same time because I've been on a pretty strict horror diet for 20, 30 years, I think. But um, but it's it's been like a warm experience. I'm writing, working on Carpenter's Farm. I rewrite, uh, you know, do like an interview or, or blurbing a book. And then it's like, you know what? Yeah, let's go watch this like this woman's like crazy escapades in the 1700s. I've been, I've been really loving it. What about you? Um, I, I just... Got done, uh, and I think Josh, maybe you watched these two recently. I just watched all. I think there are five episodes on Shutter of Cursed Films. Oh yeah, uh, little mini documentaries that go through uh, different films that were made that are supposed to contain curses, like the Poltergeist, the Exorcist, the Omen, uh, the Crow, and uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. And I watched all of them, <clears throat> and 
super interesting stuff. I knew most of I knew most of the Exorcist stuff just because I've uh, I know everything there is about, to know about that movie. It feels like, and um, the Twilight Zone the movie. It wasn't so much like a bunch of different things. It was more of just the yeah. the one incident where the the helicopter killed the Ooh. the actor and the two children. And you saw uh, it too in the episode. You you see it. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, that was a. All of the other ones were kind of like, except for the crow. The last two were less entertaining and more just heavy, man. Especially the Twilight Zone one Twilight episode Zone was heavy. super heavy. I know. I walked away from that one like just like, oh man. I just watched. I mean, li- literally, I just watched a man and two kids get like, severed yeah, by a helicopter. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but the other ones were a lot more interesting. Um, a great show. You know, I think they're like half hour piece. I think the one that I liked the most um, was the Omen because man, there's some really bizarre stuff that happened. Yeah, I like that one too. But I also loved the that weird subliminal trick they played, the basketball, the gorilla. Yeah, oh, messed me up, man. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm like counting, I'm counting, I'm counting, and then I don't want to ruin it for someone. And then the guy yeah. we said, and I'm like, wait, what? And I rewound it. I'm like, I, I, no I caught way. it. I caught it, and I was like. What's going on here? But I was I was counting too, and I saw that, and I was like, "Huh?" What, you know. <laughs> but that is that was cool. I think it's almost weirder to have caught it because then it's yeah. like, "What was this for?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was a little distracting, but yeah, I, I watched that. I've been on a deep dive with uh, '80s horror and Italian horror lately on Shutter, but but uh, Cursed is I would recommend that for. You know, anybody who hasn't seen those or, yeah. or doesn't know about some of the weirdness that goes into, you know, whether they be coincidence or 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 not, <clears throat> it's still really interesting stuff to to find out about some of uh, your favorite horror movies. But yeah, um, I agree. The uh, so let's get to the movie, man. Let's start yeah, talking man. about November. Yeah, speak, yeah, speaking of weirdness. Okay, so I'm so glad that Josh that you picked this because I saw it last year, and um, I wanted everybody to see it. It was one of those things where it's like I, but I knew most people weren't going to see it. For one, it's black and white. For another, it's a foreign film, and then it's on Shutter. And some people, you know, foreign films are a deal breaker for some people, and uh, maybe even black and white. But um, I just when I saw it, I was like, everybody needs to see this. And so if anybody ever asked me, you know, that I add that, you know, what movies streaming right now should I watch? I add that I added that to the list. And so I'm glad you picked it. And I was I, I got a little nervous. I was like, what, you know, what if he doesn't like it? We're not going to have that because Jeremiah, I thought, because we had talked about it for just a couple minutes. Yeah, he was just like, dude, that was a weird movie. And I was like, oh, he hates it. <laughs> <laughs> So I yeah, so I got a little nervous. I was like, well, maybe he hates it. No, Josh probably hates it, and I'm I'm gonna be here praising it myself. Well, that's I mean that's that would have been an interesting dynamic, but no, I didn't hate it. It would yeah, it would have. <laughs> but I guess it was it was part of me was just like I love it when I turn someone on to mu- some kind of music or 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 movie that's rather obscure, and they're just like, you know, and then they start to turn you know they they turn it on to other people. Um, yeah, so anyway. Well, and it's cool that you picked this one too. Chad originally had three of them and said, Hey, these are the three I've tossed. And said, Well, let me let me let me throw one of those in there. 
So what, what's the one you picked? The 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 ones that didn't make it, Chad. You had you uh, had the society. society. Yeah, yeah, the society, which it looks looks amazing. And then what body, was the horror, one, body horror. What was the one that I shared, man? The visitor. Yeah, that, that's just super bizarre. I mean, super yeah. strange and weird. And but I, I did that. But I also had one because I, I threw you another one, and and that one didn't make the cut to to give to Josh. But when you when you send this one, he chose he chose to watch this. It worked out perfectly. And the one I, I uh, proposed was, um, oh, man, what was uh, uh, Stalker? What is it? Tchaikovsky? Something like that. Just beautiful cinematography. That's what it's, it's what it's known for. Is it, It's another one of these films, much like this one, right? Like November, that is just a spectacle to the eye that, you know, that the imagery you could you could close your eyes, you know, pull a pull a bird box, you know, put a blindfold on and tell somebody, go ahead and just flip through any place and stop it. And then take a screenshot and do a painting of it and sell that for a billion dollars. Because <laughs> it's just gorgeous. Yeah, every scene. I brought Allison in through the course of November. There was a few times where I hit pause just to talk to Allison. And I'd be like, oh, oh, come here, come here. Look at this. You know, I'd be like, you gotta see this. And it was just like this gorgeous shot. And then yeah. the next time through, like, hey, hey, look at this. You know, um, I want to preface talking about it or just get right in, which is that. Um, so Allison is 100% Finnish. And right away, not just because of the sauna, sauna, not sauna, that's how she and Finnish people say it, right? The, um, not just because of the sauna, the, the, just the vibe, the feel of it, everything. I'm like, this is like some serious Finnish vibes. Like, where was this movie made? And I went and like researched. I didn't, I didn't know that Estonia is like literally across a bay from Helsinki, Finland. So yeah. I was like, oh shit. All right. I was right. This is definitely like Finnish. And I, you know, I go up um, to the UP. Al Allison's from the UP, the deep UP, like two hours deeper than Marquette, and <laughs> and um, they have a what they call the Huvala, which is finished for some like lodge of some sort um, that's right on a lake, and they have a sauna that's like freestanding that is literally like on the like you know up against the water, and the you know the dock goes from there, so. Like, and countless nights with her Finnish, extremely Finnish, like father, mother and father, um, hearing them like speak the language and like going through the woods, like with her, with her dad, as he's like taking camp down and this and that. And there were so many elements of this that reminded me of like her family and the UP and that, that I like, when I posted about it, I tagged her whole family and like, you guys all got to see this, you know? Mm -hmm. And her mom um, like, like directed like plays, like school plays and that kind of thing. And I felt like a lot of elements in November had that vibe to me. And it's one of my, it's one of my favorite things that it's not necessarily like do it yourself. It's not necessarily lo-fi, although there's a bit of that, but the, the creatures, the, what do you call them? Crat? The crat. Crat. Yeah. The cratch. Yeah. Yeah. Those made this not lo-fi or something like i was like wait this is really well done those dudes you know that, that, yeah. that. but like we were like saying saying before the ghost the dead people you wear white and you're just painted white and you have like kind of like dark eyes you're now you're the dead person and you walk around and you talk i mean there's no like wasn't any like anything especially misty or ghosty about you you're just painted white and, and when the, the, the eating when the plague arrived and kissed the guy and then he's like oh now he's dead and and like the devil was was like it's one of my favorite devils I've ever seen in a movie. To be honest with you, truly, yeah. All it was was a bearded dude with some like eyeliner, like in the woods. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like 
there's something like vaudevillian. There's something like theater, theatrical. Because of the simplicity, yeah. Totally. Do you think all those elements in, in November didn't come off as do-it-yourself and became came off as more theatrical? Do you think it's because of how beautifully it was shot? Like, why do you, what do you, what do you think, like, why did it work so well in November? And in other cases, it might have just felt like do-it-yourself, lo-fi, maverick shit. For me, it was because uh, because it was so beautifully shot was one thing. Mm -hmm. But right off the bat, the I think it's in the first like three and a half minutes where that that crack breaks down that door and steals the cow. Yeah. As soon as that happened, I was like, because I I put the movie on, I wasn't sure I was even going to watch it. I just kind of wanted to get a taste of what it was. And as soon as I saw that, I was like hundred percent in. I, I had no idea what this weird looking steampunk thing was that like you know had no idea and but i think that it was uh for me it was the cinematography um it matched by the excellent sound design too oh but yeah i wrote dude i wrote that down i have like index cards and i wrote down like the sound design man yeah 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 and and just i i I really appreciated the simplicity because i never thought of it like but you're right It, it looks like a play on screen with beautiful locations yeah. because of the simplicity of the ghosts and uh and the devil and um pretty much everything you know even the the, the tiny little houses houses that they have to yeah which yeah, i'm not like sure why right they were above so small. their heads yeah right. i don't yeah, know they why they're kind of so hunched down maybe yeah, it's because yeah. they have upstairs yeah it's like my attic you know i have one of those yeah. i have one of those attics where it kind of goes up in the shape of almost a t right yeah, yeah. And like the the pyramid with the top kind of flattened uh, like on our money <laughs> with, the, with the eye, the all seeing panopticon eyeball above it. Yeah, but that's kind of right. And that's kind of how it is, but how they're all kind of scrunched down in this place. And and I agree with you. I think it's, it, I think the cinematographer's name is Mart Teniel. And they, they, I read a, a review where they were saying he's a master of charred blacks, incandescent whites and evocative close-ups. And I liked how they were saying that he, even, even the, the way that the, the colors were used with the, the wrinkles on faces that, and, and the dirt, right. That was used mm-hmm. or the, like uh, Josh is saying with the whites and the blacks that the, the rich people are very, a lot of clean white clothes, right. Or the ghosts are bright white or the devil has like a, a kind of a white face, but he's got black around his eyes and he smudges mm-hmm. a, a, uh, dark stuff on other people's faces, you know, like yeah. and they come up to him and kind of, you know, smears it on him and he's, so he's kind of dirty, kind of fuzzy white almost. It's not a bright white. Um, but to use that for an effect that they said, even the wrinkles and everything, it gives character and quality and texture to the people. And I think one reason why it, it does so well is because it's so foreign to most people who see it. And because it's black and white, that it's relying heavily on on things like you're saying, the, the spectacle, for example, that you would see from Greek theater, uh, where people are so far away that, that you have to have things that stand out prominently that give the viewer an idea immediately that says that's what that character is. But it never, but in with all those elements, it never became like, like, like a, a farce version of that. Like a funny, like this is like, if like Woody Allen or something, like this is like a thea- theater, like it's supposed to be theater. It was cinema the whole time, but had mm-hmm. like, you know, what's his name? Michel Gondry. Is that his name? Who has like elements of that too? Like the, Sort of like you can almost imagine him and friends like cutting the set out of cardboard or 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 like the the you know 
um, like felt, like curtains, whatever. It, it just had like that theater. Oh, how about when the two chickens go in the sauna? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So clearly a shot of like a smaller sauna. Like yeah. you have giant chickens. It was like that instead they put regular chickens and they built a smaller sauna for it. Like those kind of elements, it, it, it got away with it. It, it never came off feeling like um, tongue in cheek or whatever. Like the mood wasn't right. by those things. It was only enhanced. Another thing is I was astonished to see the dude from um, uh, Human Centipede. Human Centipede in there. And I'm watching him like, I know that freaking jawline. I know yeah. I know these cheekbones. Who is this dude? And I'm like, I Googled. And I was like, oh, my God. That's the dude from the Human Centipede. Yeah. The doc. Yeah. Yeah, that's his. Uh, that was his last movie. Was that the Baron? He just died in February. Yeah. See, man, I, 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 when I was watching that and I saw him, I was like, man, there's something about this one character, right? Yeah. This one guy, something familiar about his face and his grin. It was just something about it, and I was like, man, I don't know what I what I remember him from, and so I'm so glad you brought that. Well. I guess I'm kind of glad you brought that up. I don't know about the mental image you've just given me right. <laughs> with human centipede. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But he, uh, <laughs> lines in movie history. Yeah, but, right. Um, <laughs> uh, he was almost like a silent movie character in this, which also harkens back to vaudeville. I mean, yeah. it really was that I, I, I should have read more about the director writer. I, I don't know why I didn't. Oh, by the way, you know, it was based on a book. Did you guys see that? Yes. Um, yeah. Don't you want to read that now? But, but I do yeah. want to read it. It's actually it's called the Old Barney. Well, it's it's Rehapop, Rehapop, and it's uh what is it? Andrus uh, Kivarok is his name, and it, it yeah and it's a, and it's based on. I thought it was interesting as I was looking this stuff up about these creatures that these are these are this is actually part of their their myth and lore. Sure. Right? This, yeah, That's these are actually cool. and so much so that um, in modern debates in Estonia over artificial intelligence and their, the way, what's the social imaginary for an Estonian about uh, artificial intelligence? It's the crat or the crat. And they, and they, it's actually the crat law is the law pertaining to artificial intelligence for them. And so the way that, that given their social imaginary, the way that they understand these concepts and abstractions regarding the debate over this, that they fall back on this idea, this ancient idea of the crack. And that's, that's how they conceptualize artificial intelligence. That is awesome. And it blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is, I I know that uh, Dieter laser, the the human centipede guy, I I guess he was really pissed at uh, the way the film came out. he said that the, he had the felt, uh, that the director betrayed um, and lied about uh, his initial image and how the the film is going to be presented or the the original. I can't remember the, his exact words. It's something I guess he tweeted about. Really, he wasn't happy. Like that? Did you think that he saw it more as a um, like a like a regular scary movie or something versus this like art piece or something? I don't know. That um, he was upset about that. Yeah, yeah. He he was mad wow. about it. You know, I, I was uh, another reason why I liked it so much was because, and, and I had mentioned something to my wife too earlier. Um, there's something about seeing something that you're so unfamiliar with that it's really refreshing. Because yeah. even if it's like, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that uh, this myth 
and this thing has been maybe even done to death in that culture. But for yep. us, it's so brand new and refreshing and feels yep. unique and original. And and the same goes for something like like when the ring first came out or or the grudge, that that vengeful spirit, the uh the uh Onrio, the the chick with the black, it's based on a, you know, like their version of basically a ghost in Japan. And when I, when you see the, the chick with the black hair on her face, uh, it felt new kind of, because when we have ghosts over here, I mean, we've got many different kinds, but the most popular being kind of like the, the sheeted, you know, white figure or something like that. And then they've got kind of like this really ominous, uh, legitimately creepy, bendable, uh, ghost over there and so it felt like you know i would assume over there it's just like yeah that's just the that's just the own rio that's not just our our ghost you, you know nothing to see here but for us when when uh when they first made like the grudge or the ring i'm not a big ring fan but i did like the grudge but when i first saw that i was like man that is really cool looking man that is creepy yeah for sure they, and, no, and I, I mean that's you know one i know that i know that november is not like a horror movie i in fact it's hard to call it that, but also then it, it's it's easy to call it that as well. But one of the things um, that I think about, and this is kind of what I was talking about before with books in a different way, is that you know we're all we're all afraid, like the fear of the unknown, right? And so we don't know, like you know, in a story what the monsters or this or that and that and that kind of thing. But sometimes that fear of the unknown can extend to again, who made this? Like, yeah. like, and that happened to me with It Follows. That happened to me with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That happened to me with what was it? Um, maybe Human Centipede. But a few, a few through history where it's like where you're not just freaked out by the movie. You're freaked out by like you're just not. I don't know if I trust the person that made it. <laughs> I don't know how like far they're gonna take this, and I don't know his or her like comfort level or where I'm at with this. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Apply that to this when the ghosts. We're sitting at the table and they're like, where's the ring? You know? And then the girl's like, oh, and she's like, oh, it's gone. And then she starts saying to dad, um, the crowd or whatever came in, someone came and stole it. And then yeah. she's mm-hmm. looking at each other like, mm, maybe the girl probably took it. You know, that's what their looks said. And I don't know the myth of this. I don't know the filmmaker. I don't know the culture at all. And I'm like thinking like, oh, these ghosts are going to like do something to this girl. You know what I mean? Like they never did, but like, but I don't know. And the rhythm of it is different, and you're not familiar. Like, if you're not familiar with like the rhythm of a scary movie that you're watching, that's like that can freak you out. Yeah, I, I think that's why I'm so drawn to like uh, darker drama type of stuff. Like Lynch will do that to you too. He's not. He's not. A, I mean, he's. This isn't a horror movie, but when you're watching something like Blue Velvet or something horrific things happen and you don't you like you're saying you like kind of don't trust him right you know because you know that he might freak me out i don't know him that well yeah this isn't really something i'm used to you know there's no you know this isn't this is outside the template that i'm maybe used to seeing or something and i love that and and i i was just talking to someone recently that when you take something uh like a like um i i can't offhand think of a, a scene but if you take something like a, a dark or scary scene and you put it and drop it in the middle of a drama be it a literature or a film it hits so much harder than it would in 
uh, a horror film because you're expecting it. Yeah. Um, and you're already kind of desensitized to it by even turn, you know, starting the movie or, or starting the book, but you drop that in the middle of something else and it hits so much harder. Like, um, I don't know if hereditary would be a good example because hereditary is a, a, a horror movie, but half of it is such a heavy duty family drama, mm-hmm. like absolutely traumatic mm-hmm. with, with legitimate reactions that you would expect from, um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not the best example, but I, but it kind of goes hand in hand with just not, not knowing what to expect. Oh, hereditary not- example, though, oh, you, you know what? Like, okay. The Wick and Hereditary both did this where they used like early on what I would consider to be the scariest beat of the movie. And these were both their first movies, right? Mm-hmm. So the one in the witch is the peekaboo game with the baby, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's even in the preview that one, but still, you're like this game, and like, oh, and then she looks and the baby's gone, right? And then looks up at the mm-hmm. word who, who took the baby. And you're I don't know who made this movie. I'm like, if this is beat one, like shit, yeah, right. Oh yeah. Like I'm like, I don't know if I can handle this. And in hereditary, it was Oh my God! I was I was I saw this alone. I mean, there were other people in the theater, but I was on my own. And that beat where when she turns the light off in the art space, and Grandma, Mom, who just died, is standing by the shelves. Mm-hmm. Remember that early on? Yeah, super early on. And she turns off the light, and then she's standing there, and she's like, you know, just this, just the outline of Grandma, like over there. And I, honest to God, I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. I gotta, I gotta. I gotta. <laughs> And then I honestly started saying to myself, dude, you are a horror author. Do not leave this movie. Come Like, if you want out of this, like, come on, dude. you got to watch this movie. And, like, it never got scared. Neither movie, to me, I ever got scarier than those moments. But what happened was, it was like, it was like, God, it was brilliant to put that up front. Because it's like, I can do that to you. You don't know me yet. This is my first movie. I can scare you. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of the movie, I'm on edge. So yeah, you're scared yeah. the whole time now. All the time. Even yeah. if something lives up in that first moment. I thought yeah. something cool about, about this film, you know, when I was investigating it, I was finding that a lot of this stuff in the film was in fact true to form for, for their culture and like for the beliefs about it. And the idea that this is formed from hay or from old household implements. It was uh, Glenn Kelly over at rogeredeaver.com was talking about it and saying that there's uh, that they need to keep working the whole time or they can go crazy. And that the idea is if it ever becomes useless, you know, where it's like, well, it's no longer of any use to me. Um, and if you've tricked the devil and there's a reason for this and I won't give it away because it'll maybe give away some of the ending. Um, but if, if it becomes useless, there's a way to dispose of them. Uh, and it was to give it an impossible job. And so there's there's a the scene where it says, "Hey, make the ladder out of this piece of bread," and that it's looking back and forth. And my my wife she laughed. She's it, which is kind of a funny thing. She's watching this and she just thought that was so funny. This scene uh, where the crats looking at this ladder, looking at the bread, looking at the ladder, looking at the bread, yeah. and then it explodes. And the whole idea is that it, it, if it when it dies like that, it catches on fire and it burns away like a fireball. And so even even in the film, like if you didn't know anything about the crat. And you watched it, you'd be like, man, this is a crazy thing. That's actually part of the description of this. And I thought one thing that was interesting, and I didn't see it. I didn't see it in any commentary on it, in any review. And I would love to talk to the guy uh, who who uh, put this together. Okay. Uh, Sarnet, right, is his last name. 
And uh, the thing is, is that uh, there's the scene where the main, the main girl, Lena, right? She, she goes and she's nude and she grabs this kind of salve from, uh, uh, from a tree and she's rubbing it all over her skin, you know, all, even her face and stuff. And the closest thing I ever saw when everybody mentioned it, and it may have been at the, the Ebert site, but it was that it was butter. It, it, it was in a parenthetical. It said butter question mark. And I was thinking the fungus from rye. Because bread plays a major role throughout the entire film, and Irgot, uh, if I'm pronouncing it properly, is one of the the theoretical origins for werewolves, right? And there's there's websites I went to where they were like, "This is a controversial theory," and I'm like, you know, it's kind of a funny thing. Like it's really controversial. They think it came from this, but the idea that that people who were poor, the peasants, they wouldn't get the first fruits of the land, and so the problem was is that the longer that that rye was there it would get bad and the idea was that they would make this food and they'd get this poisoning ear got poisoning and that there's a chemical in there that's it's a hallucinogenic and so you you kind of trip nuts right from eating this when there was a while where people thought that was involved maybe with the salem witch trials and a lot of people say that's that doesn't make sense of it but at least it's one of those explanations out there is that the ear got but the idea that they're rubbing she's rubbing this on she looks up, there's a moon, right? She turns into, she's a shapeshifter, basically, yeah. turns into this werewolf. So it's connected. And I was like, but I, I didn't read anybody else say anything about it. I'm like, isn't it Irgot? Isn't that what that is? And so I would love to talk to somebody well, and ask. The question, that's what it is now to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys catch the, um, you, you probably did because uh, Josh kind of alluded to earlier, but the when the plague came, that it, it came in the form of a, like it asked to be carried there. Yeah. And then the guy went and got it and as though he's the one who carried the plague to the village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was interesting. And yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody else feel like a real, you know, like they played, you know, different roles, real people or whatever, but the plague was a person too. I thought that was really interesting. And then one thing in the movie I didn't quite understand is once the plague like turned into that pig, uh, soon after that, um, and, and I'm, I'm assuming they killed the, the pig. The, the guy stuck it with the scythe or whatever, whatever I think. But soon after that, um, there was a scene where the, the guy that was supposed to be part of the, was supposed to be kind of like the groom in the uh, arranged marriage or whatever, big old nasty guy. Yeah. And he was going to rape that woman. Well, he well, when he was trying to do that, he sounded just like the pig. Yeah, yeah I noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't know what that really meant. It had, to be, it had to be deliberate, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and she refers to him as a pig. She says she calls him a pig earlier yeah. and, and is assuming that when he's talking about the marriage, he's informing her basically, hey, look, you know, your dad's hooking me up with you. Um, she She's acting as though she's confused by the whole thing and says, oh, yeah, yeah well, not, yeah. you know, he's like, the pig is almost ready. You know, we need to just slit its throat. And she's like, but then how will you marry? And he's like, what? I'm so confused. And she goes, well, a pig for a pig. Kind yeah. of thing, and so yeah, he's a pig, and he, in a way, he kind of personifies it yeah, uh, okay. later to the point where he's even making the sound. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> some of that, some of that stuff. The like the 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 brighter areas were shot in. You could tell it was shot in infrared, like the where it, it like uh toward the end, and I think there's a scene. There's a couple scenes, but particularly toward the end, where all of the trees and everything look br- real bright white. But if you look at the people's eyes, um, 
they're darker. I don't know if you've ever looked at anybody who's been filmed using like night vision and how their eyes get uh, really dark. Well, infrared is the same way when they use that kind of film. And I could tell right away that they were using infrared. But then when you saw the, the people's eyes, particularly that woman that when they found all that gold, she was crazy, man. She's hilarious. That, that, uh, man, well, I was going to ask something about like the cast, like at some point you got to like, are, like, are you, you're like, are these, at first you're kind of like, this, these are theater actors. And then, then yeah. you think, well, what's going on here actually? Are these just like locals in the locals? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, those were like as yeah. authentic looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they were for sure. I, I think, the woman who's the woman who stole the dress, uh, I think she had false teeth in. Yeah, but she she was probably the actress. But yeah, a, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of those other people, man. Um, just, I just want to point out because just for the record, the idea of the crap, like how you defeat it or how you get rid of it, is to give it an impossible job is a freaking awesome story prompt. Yeah, like yeah. Let's, let's point that for a second to like a guy who has like a like a demon or something, an entity like on his, on his case or something. And maybe either working for him or against him either way, but to give the thing an impossible job is like an, an entire novel is in there. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. love that idea. Like to try to shake this and then I don't know, but then I'm just, I just wanted to mark that moment <laughs> because like if, if in two years from now, you know, you, you, uh, you guys are like, Oh, Mallerman is a new book called impossible job. <laughs> yeah we know where it came from man yeah. Yeah, birth yeah. right here it's copyrighted right yeah. now <laughs> i also found it i also found like a, a what i felt was almost like a a hint of american culture in there uh and i'm sure it wasn't maybe it was just it's just because i don't know the origin but uh did you guys notice that when they went to go meet the devil to like basically sell their soul that it was at a crossroads yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Ro like Robert Johnson. Yeah, like so, full on. Is that an American thing? I don't even, I mean, is that? It, it not be because, uh, I mean, I've only ever heard about it, like the, you know, Robert Johnson story and things like that. But yeah, they use, they, they clearly use the same, you know, thing in there. This yeah. would be a moment for me to look in that book of symbols I mentioned last week, Chad. I have like this 800 page book. With all these different symbols, you know, even shapeshifters, man, that was in there. I should have been, I don't know why I didn't look at it now that I'm coming to think about it. But yeah, crossroads, you know, that there's a, it, the, the imagery of that and that you have to go to the center and they whistled, right? And then all of a sudden devil just boom shows up and he's this vibrant kind of figure, kind of almost jolly, but in an evil way. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. 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 Um, also, it, it was, it's cool too, the idea, um, I mean, I'm, it's, it's almost impossible for me to watch things without trying to assimilate or whatever, right, as a fellow creator. But the idea that typically with the crossroads, you imagine like two like country roads or whatever, you know, with, with like fields of corn or whatever, like in these two roads. But to have it, it was almost like two like um, sawdust paths in the woods is what it more looked like or snow, whatever. But it's yeah. so like unassuming, just like in the woods, like what like the crossroads doesn't have to be. Um, you know, the crossroads could be anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. There, there's something like cool about that and kind of like chilling about that too. Love the whistling thing for him too. And now is that all, 
I mean, is that all part of like the myth of the devil that, you know, is that how it normally we go to the crossroads and whistle? Or is that like, because this is interesting yeah. because we, we watched like a folk horror, eh, a, a folk fantasy, dark fantasy, whatever movie. Right. And, and you know, like the guy from the, the witch is following like folklore to a T and then with Midsommar, um, Ari Aster, he's also like everything involved is actual, like, you know, uh, he's not, they're not inventing their own myths, right? They're taking, you know, and, and they're starting to make like little, I mean, big actually, whatever careers out of, out of like real folklore. And right. these movies. So do you think that this movie was, I don't want to say jumping on that wagon, who cares about that? But do you, th- do you think that there is some sense that if you're going to do a folk horror or a folk story like that, that you're supposed to live by the rules of it? I'd be, I'd be interested because I wrote down, there's a, you know, I, I was trying to find, you know, what's the backstory to all this? I mean, you know, we have our Grimm's, right? We have our, what is it? Hans Christian Andersen, right? Yeah. So we, we, we have these, but then you've got over there, uh, Kruzewald. I don't know if they would pronounce with a W or a V, right? I don't want to be assuming. But Old Estonian Fairy Tales, uh, published in 1866, has 43 fairy tales and 18 legends in it. And then you've got one from uh, 1947 called The Nightingale and the Blind Worm. You've got, you know, ones by uh, a guy by the name of uh, Jury, uh, J-U-R-I, in 1933. And it really talks about, like, emphasizes the estonian ethical principles of their of their stories and so but they have they have all these different stories where it talks about uh even stuff like elves and goblins and incubi and malaria and the plague and so they have this whole uh, canon of literature and it would be interesting to see you know how, how accurate that is or if they if, if they took license with it and in a way are making their own modern myth you know i, I might be able to actually find uh, a little bit out because I just found out today that um, the my publisher who, who released the Russian version of, of Foster Homes and Flies is from Estonia. I, I didn't know that until today. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Cool. That, would be amazing. that would be amazing to talk yeah. from there about this movie. Because like, yeah. Yeah. they might be like, oh yeah, that's like the, the regular myth or something. That's like the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. it was also fresh. You know, but I because I wonder though about those, like that that almost subconscious authenticity to these sort of things, like the witch and Midsommar and and here, um, the sense like you said, like the gathering the implements from the home to create the crat or whatever, like that just that's like one of those little details that you know, rather than going out and getting the sticks from the woods, you you take the implements from the home. That's just one of those just little, little small subconscious authenticity details that you're like. Yeah, that that I believe this or something, and and that's a hard thing to invent, right? That's a hard thing to create on your own. So I do wonder, and I know that that dude, like, what is his name? Um, the witch director. David. I can't remember his name either. Yeah. Is it Eggers? Maybe it's Eggers. But sure. um, but he's doing like a Viking movie now or whatever, and I have no doubt that he's going to follow all the rules of that of that era. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that is like, when I'm writing a book, I don't care about it at all. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not thinking like, you know, like with Unburied Carol, it's like just a total, like at some point I'm like, well, I guess it's a weird Western cause I'm not, I'm just not following the rules of like 18, whatever, you know, I'm just like, let's roll. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've always been interested in the kind of artists that do. And I wonder if the reason is 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's a lack of creativity. I wonder if it's it's trying to create that sort of that blanket authenticity so that you buy this. It's almost like subliminal. You buy everything and we're telling the story on top of it. You know, it's it's funny. And yeah, it's Eggers. The uh, the um, you, you mentioned the idea of Vikings, right? And I can say this because I'm a bona fide weirdo who really loves going to like medieval festivals and stuff. And our daughter was the was the princess, indefinite princess of all time for a specific one, Black Rock, uh, here in Michigan. And they uh they there were these Viking enthusiasts that were there. In fact, there was a historical uh, they they like live it out. So you go there and you've got people who are acting their uh, live action role play for the weekend where they are living as the Vikings. And what was hilarious about it was I wondered, I said, well, where, where's like the, the furs and the horns and stuff. And they were like, that's not real. Like that is, that is a, a modern concept of this. And it's probably more for the spectacle of it. You know, that if you, if you're just dressed in linens, and colorful clothes that they might say, well, what's that? You know, <laughs> like you wouldn't think, oh, Vikings. Um, and yet that's exactly what they were. <laughs> I'll bet yeah. the way you're describing it will be what that movie's like. You know, what was a bizarre, like unexpected touching moment in this movie um, was when the um, witch, I don't even know, you know, at some point it seemed like she, she wasn't, but, but when, when, when she said that I was waiting for a boy to climb up into the hayloft yeah, and the girl was like, did he? And then she just shakes her head no. No. And I was like, oh. I mean, yeah. I felt like a lifetime of sadness in that one little exchange. Did he? And I was like, oh. I just like punched me right in the gut, dude. It was a totally unexpected emotional beat in that movie. Did you did you guys catch that she killed that guy's wife? Yeah. And then he was like, I he was like, I don't, I don't really blame you. And that what's in the past is the past. And I was like, there was this weird little side of me that was like, at that age, I could almost understand that. Like if I'm no, like no, yeah. 80 or 90 or whatever, I could almost be like, dude, life is so fucking insane. It doesn't even matter what's happened before this moment. And then in all yeah. the swirling dervishes of, of, of existence that's brought us to this moment. That's what he seemed like to me. And then he even put his hand on hers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I, I watched it for the second time yesterday and I, I enjoyed it uh, a lot more because I was a little bit more familiar with because I remember the first time I saw it and they and All Souls Day was happening and you've got this uh, essentially like a white parade coming down the middle of the and I'm like, what, what's going on here? And and it, it took a little bit and I was like, wait, are those are those supposed to be ghosts? Yes. You know, there were certain things that just kind of like took me where whereas this time I could appreciate everything that was going on because I knew ahead of time. And so I could like kind of focus more on other stuff. And yeah, for me, it was just a, uh, yeah, it, I don't think it's a horror movie at all. I think it's a, a, yeah, yeah, a it's not, yeah. tragic love story in the setting of a dark fairy tale. Yeah. 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 But a great, say- great love story, man. I, I, yeah, it was, it was very Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. You know? Tragic. Um, tragic elements, yeah. I did get some like Mario Baba from it though. Yeah, okay. Oh, and then and there's that one shot that especially felt like Night of the Demon when it was like that straight down like the wood. Uh, I'm trying to do it with the camera straight down like the woods go like that, and then the mists coming. I think that's yeah. actually come out of there. Yeah, that is what it was. 
And that's like in the, you know, in the Night of the Demon, that's when the demon starts, you know, coming through or whatever. But I got some like Mario Baba like feel to it. Uh, but he, oh, I guess, um, what's it called? Black, uh, Black Sunday would be like the black and white one of his that like totally yeah. badass, you know, with the mask nailed into her face, all that. Right. I had some of like that vibe with the, um, that planet of the vampires. And he always had, to me, his, his, I know that he, was also known for so much color. So it's kind of a strange example. Yeah. But Black Sunday was black and white. And it's and it's like, there was a sense of like, it's okay if we're on a theatrical set. It's okay that fog is supposed to be scary. And here's a bunch of fog. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, it, like Vincent Price has that element to him too or something. Where it's like, I'm going to talk. I'm like, this is how scary people talk. And it still works. And then this whole movie kept having that for me. Where like, this is how you look at someone that you love, but, but it worked. And this is like a ghost, but it worked. Like it, like never felt cliche to me, this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, if I talk to an Estonian, I, they might think that it was, I don't know. Yeah. And that's why we got to talk to to your guy there, Chad. We, we got to connect with your contact man. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll ask. Yeah. I don't know if she's seen the movie. Um, I don't know the relationship. Be- I actually, I'm not, great with all geography so i don't know the relationship she's russian but she's from estonia mm-hmm. so i don't know like quite the relationship there and now well, she lives in ireland now but in ireland yeah i want to go to all i want to go to every place we're mentioning right now man yeah. <laughs> i had a to Bulgaria for the books and alice and i weren't able to go and it's like that haunt me right now and i'm sure you guys feel the same way that more than ever, like right now, I want to go see the whole world. Like right now, like if there was an airplane in our driveway that was like, you can see the whole world right now for like three months, I'd be like, let's fucking go right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I think most of us would settle just for going uh, yeah. down the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Like, go to a fucking concert. Right? Yeah, at this point. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, just yeah, get outside and be like, I'm driving everybody. Yeah. Sorry, that was my dude. That's that hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, that gave me off. Huh? Well, yeah, yeah, it was. That's yeah, my well, ringtone. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you guys typically do ratings? Like, do you do out of ten or something? Five. Out of five? Yeah. And no halves are allowed. Uh, you can do have. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't I do a four? Didn't I uh, originally? Wasn't it like a four point eight? Didn't I? Didn't I get down to the decimal for Wild at Heart? Like I said, it wasn't. I think you did. Yeah. Because like, mm, like, like, for example, like I absolutely would want Allison to see this beyond just the um, Finnish vibes and ties. Allison also does special effects and she did like set design on a really bizarre movie that we made years ago. And, and I just like, whatever, she's an, an artist, a painter, a musician. I just, Oh, that, can we bring that up real fast? The one thing that I felt was like kind of like missing was like an awesome soundtrack. Did you guys have any sense of like the, like that's different. I know you know this, that's different than the sound design, which we both agreed was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just felt like the music was kind of like, it was here, it was there, but like it didn't like drive us somewhere. I, I liked it. I didn't feel like it was anything missing, but I, I see what you're saying. I mean, Jeremiah, he had mentioned something earlier. There was some, uh, you know, guitar, distorted guitar in yeah. some of the more intense moments. It, it was a Polish composer, uh, Jakasik, 
I don't know, G uh, J A C A S Z E K. And being in Grand Rapids, there's a lot of Polish people. I go to a, a, a Catholic church that's predominantly Polish and trying to pronounce some of that is <laughs> yeah, right. Good. Good luck. But the uh, right here, it says it, the scores were uh, mixes of these kind of droning sounds and burbles and lupine howls with occasional bursts of electric guitar. And I thought that was the interesting thing is that there weren't any, a bunch of modern instruments in it, except for the occasional burst of this electric guitar. So, yeah, but you're, I, I, I agree with you on that, that it seemed that it wasn't, uh, if anything else, it wasn't the driving force that was moving it. And it didn't have this way of, of working the, like a Kubrick style thing with, um, 2001 or whatever, where the music matches with the scene and the mood and that it drives it, that that's the music is kind of what's driving it. Sure. Uh, you don't have that. And it doesn't seem like there was even a lot of, you're seeing in a lot of films now where it's timed, where let's say a, a song is beginning at a certain spot and then two and a half minutes go by and then the song finishes at the end, that if you actually played that song, it would be uninterrupted. It would be the exact length. So they figured out how to match that so that it right. flows according even to the tempo and the rhythm and the, and the beat right. and measure count of the song. Whereas this didn't have that. No. Because it was all ambient, kind of. Do you think that that is like a sign that this movie was aware, like was aware that its cinematography was its centerpiece? Yeah. And do you think that that maybe even to a fault where they were like, oh, that music's fun. Look at how gorgeous it looks, you know, as they're working. Because it really, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was gorgeous. So you can imagine if you're the director and the writer and, the, and you're just like, oh my God, it looks so good. And then this shot is good. And this, do you think the music was, I don't want to say an oversight because it was good, good, whatever. But do you think that their focus was just, was obviously on that cinematography? I like, the, I like that you said to a fault because I think that it's, it's fine, but it's to a fault because, you know, it wouldn't have taken away from that. I, I can't imagine right. if they would have done a little bit better with that, that it would have actually taken away from the spectacle of it, the mesmerizing, bewitching spectacle of the whole thing. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I think it would be, you know, Nietzsche would would seem to indicate that it would heighten it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Maybe that's what Dieter Laser didn't like about it. <laughs> I, I think that I, I, I was so seduced by it visually that I, I maybe that's why I didn't even. Um, yeah. For me, I can't I can't think of a, um, you know, black and white does do something to a movie or even a photograph. Um and maybe that's why we always shoot our author photo or uh, bio photos in, uh, in, uh, in, in black and white, or maybe that's just supposed to be spooky. I don't know, but there's something about black and white photography film that um, does take something to a different level, whether it be artistically or just uh, set a different mood. Um, but this particular movie, I don't recall ever seeing something. So it was just uh hyper whatever it was it was just a yeah. very very uh but okay chad did you see beyond the black rainbow you see that movie you got did you guys see that no one? but i i listen to the soundtrack all the time when i'm yeah, writing no, it's amazing right but it. yeah there was something and this is a whole other issue and i'm sure like a viewer's like screw you i love that movie but like it's like it, it just it was too much to to me it was too much of that thing it was like it loved Kubrick, and then it was like so focused on that panoramic shot and the you know the 
all, all the sort of Kubrick fixings, right? Mm-hmm. Then like this one didn't. This one never felt that way to me. It never felt like like it was resting on its laurels or something. Okay, I was gonna. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder if like you know, I don't know. I do wonder if like at some point they were like it's gorgeous and then. We got it, but then it was like one more notch higher, just one more freaking notch higher with some more music or some more something, and this could have like just exploded or something. Maybe it could, man. I I know I, it, it makes me think of uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. There's a uh, like a avant-garde jazz uh, version of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, it's the only version I've seen, but the music is so awesome and so fitting. But it's not the original music, right? Right. Right. And it makes the it makes the movie so awesome. Maybe we could score November. Like we, we yeah, could score right. our yeah. for November. That would actually work. It really would. Because if you think about it, it's all um subtitled and it's so like visually arresting. If you had like written your own soundtrack or, or your band played live to November, that would be kind of awesome actually. It would. Yeah. I think it would. I think with the rating, I like what the what variety said about it. They said it's a folktale too odd to begin with once upon a time. And it's far too peculiar to end with happily ever after. Mm-hmm. And I would say that um, it, it rightfully won uh, the prizes, right. That have to do with cinematography. Mm-hmm. I loved, I, I enjoyed watching it. Mm-hmm. The more that I read about it, the more that I enjoyed it and anticipate watching it again and encouraging other people to watch it. We're doing it now. I'm going to encourage them right now. You should, people should watch this, right? It's worth your time to do it. And I'd give it a four. I'd say that it, it was, especially because I'm artsy, you know, there, there might be people who, who are, aren't as into art things. It's, yeah, it's more of a three for me, or they wanted more of the drive of the music. And I, I that's why I would give it a four specifically because I can deal with the weirdness. I can deal with the oddity. I mean, we were talking earlier about <laughs> Lynch. I'm watching. I'm watching some crazy junk right now. So I can I can deal with that. But if, but if it was if they had that that music like Josh was talking about, I think if it had that, I'd give it. I'd give it a five. But I I'll give it a four, and say that it's worth watching. What about you, Josh? I'm gonna say completely worth watching, and I'm also <clears throat> more than artsy enough to to like you know I want to see more movies like this. Um, I'm also really just sort of naturally into like the folk horror, you know, or I keep saying horror, but it's, this movie's not a horror movie, everyone. It just, just, you know, it's in the waiting room, maybe of like, you know, a long hallway away. Um, but, um, so it has all those elements, but it just, something was a little shy of like, of like it being like, oh, like that, that I got the chills kind of thing. I'm going to give it, I would give it about a three, eight. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I, I would probably a four or five, four point five, because <clears throat> to me it was just I, I'm I'm always looking for originality in, in everything. And I have a hard time with things that are cliche or uh predictable and this was none of that. And it just did so many things differently. And then again, visually, man, I, I just, you know, something about it. It was, I was, I was smitten. I was smitten by the, yeah. uh, the visuals. They probably could have dialed the rest in for me and I would <laughs> still loved it. Yeah. But, <clears throat> yeah I, I love it. And um, sometimes I, I like a movie, like uh, I'll give something a five stars and I can tell it's a movie that I can't just tell anybody 
to go see. They have to be, you know, I, I feel like this is, if somebody has the patience in, in to, because not everybody wants to sit down and watch a black and white for or a foreign film. Mm -hmm. And, but if they are, I would definitely recommend it and, or just say, you know, do it anyway, you know, challenge yourself yeah. to do that because it, it, it will pay off. I think that there's something like as an artist, there's like something that like I wrote in that post that you're gonna have like 13 story prompts, like halfway through this movie. And then yeah, yeah. discussion about the impossible job and like this, it's just, there's something about this one that every, every time you freeze it, you could be like, Oh, this could be a scene of like, you know, you can have your own love story. Right. And, yeah. and there, like, it, as like a creative, this was a great movie to watch in that way. And it, it and no doubt what you're saying is that it's because it's fresh and original. Um, and that also has that theatrical thing. A lot of things worked about this movie that that maybe uh, wouldn't have worked in different hands. I need to read more about the director for that reason and see what else. I think it's a he, right? It's yeah. A he. yeah, yeah, yeah. What else yeah. done? And because like that, like oh, oh, one thing I wanted to say is that um, because you know sometimes I'm starting to have some say in like um, you know who might we cast in like this or that. You know, there's like I have like a number of books that are either optioned or whatever right now. Mm -hmm. There was an actor in this movie that I would love to have in a movie. And it was the dude that had the like suitcase of underpants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. That guy was great. He was also, Oh, remember yeah. the weird, like, like ship high moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Like, by the way, we just talked for like however long it was about that movie and never even mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was there was actually some 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 uh several funny scenes in there. There was a one line in there where uh I can't remember who said one of the women said they were talking about the lap the the Latvians, whoever those are. It said the Latvians have an ass for a mouth and only shit comes out of it. Yeah. And yeah, and real people from Latvia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's like a shot across the bow, right? <laughs> I mean, for real. The just the way that those older people talked was yeah i mean they were they they were brutal with their words they were so funny oh, yeah. when they talked what about the weird idea that you could trick the plague by pretending you had two asses yeah yes, yes. i loved i loved that. That, that that kind of stuff is what i'm talking about man yeah. comes yeah. In. he's like yeah, nope yeah. No people here and leaves <laughs> it's like yeah like who came who came up with that yeah, yeah that is, that, exactly. is that real because yeah. if not, man, <laughs> I would guess it's real. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm surprised we haven't heard anything like that with uh, how to deal with the old coronavirus. <laughs> we've seen we've seen people say, "Well, you just drink a lot of water." Like I've gotten the memes sent to me, and I you know I don't want to name anybody. You know, I mean, I love them, but I've had people send me memes where they're like, you know, it's got the thing and it shows a guy drinking water, and it's got the little virus shapes and stuff in the throat, and it says, "If you drink." 18 ounces of water every day. The virus will go into your stomach and die. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm waiting for a meme that talks about the idea of, well, if you, if you put pants on your head and pants on your, your bottom, then the virus will think that you're not a human and we'll just go right past you. You know? So I'm waiting for that, man. Three of us are laughing now, but in like two weeks we have our pants on our head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's coming guys. It's coming. We're desperate. <laughs> So yeah. Jeremiah, is there uh, any moral that you took a while, that you walked away from uh, after watching this movie? Yes, dude. Yes. You know, if I was a young 
sprite young guy and definitely trying to woo of a beautiful maiden. The last thing I would do would be to trust this very single old hag witchy lady talking about putting poop in armpit hair and sweat into some bread and then making it and giving it to her myself and insisting, oh, no, it's chocolate. That would be like maybe the worst idea. Um, and I definitely would not do that. So that would be the moral lesson I've taken from this movie uh, is do not make the poop armpit hair sweat bread loaf for your the girl you're trying to woo. <laughs> you stole mine. I did, dude. I well, it's hilarious, uh, and that that's so funny that Josh he brings up. He's like, we went this whole time, and we weren't know, even talking about the Duke. I specifically yeah. didn't well, talk no, about it. No, it's hilarious. That's perfect. Because uh, yeah, both of you were kind of like quiet when I said that, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of weird, right, guys? I was like, why? <laughs> You're like, how funny would that have been if we would have both been like, Josh, I, I must have missed that scene. What are you talking about? <laughs> I had no idea there was a poop loaf. What, yeah. your, what did you see, Josh? <laughs> the guy I love, he goes, it's shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I was I, I I uh specifically didn't bring that. I mean, I wrote notes on that scene because it was hilarious. I mean, the yeah. dude eats his own feces, <laughs> gets possessed, beats a couple dudes up, goes, hurries up, rapes some chick from oh, eating his own you know crazy strangle cam. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Now yes. his mind just climbed to a 3.9. I forgot about the strangle cam. <laughs> yeah, cam. <laughs> like screaming and like through the house yeah there was a lot a lot of original shit in this movie wasn't there yeah yeah it's great okay um man i don't want to i can talk movies music all day long i don't want to keep josh anymore but it's been fun though yeah it's been amazing i've been been thinking while sorry to tell you off chad i've been talking that i would love to do this again with you one, because now that I have like a sense, mm-hmm. I just feel like with like the investing, like the um, research that you did into it, and then like, like I would, I don't know, I would like to do this again with like a not like the most popular, like The Exorcist, but maybe something more like The Omen or something, something that like, like they're, I don't know, it's something that I would be really prepared for. Or something. I, I feel yeah. totally fine with this whole. This was all wonderful. But it would be really fun to go like bonkers over something, you know. That, this was yeah, all well, part of our plan, Josh. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was all part of a master plan. We we're like, how are we going to get him to like want to come back? In fact, <laughs> and then we're like, yeah, we got to we got to pick a movie. Yeah, that he's not as prepared for, and that way he'll want to come back. I really wouldn't be surprised, and you can leave this in there or not. I wouldn't. I really would not be surprised if, if this show does start doing really well for you guys. I feel like you guys are really, really good at this, and it's like engaging and it's cool, and you're. Your similar um, takes and personalities, but kind of coming from different angles and different insights. And it's like, it's really good what you guys are doing. I just wanted to make sure I said that before this was over. It's, um, I'm really, I don't really like the word impressed because it sounds like who, who am I to be impressed, but I am. I'm really impressed with what you guys are doing. It's great. It means Thanks, a lot, man. man. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and dude, I, I mean, it, we've been, what, two and a half, well, almost three hours, man. Hanging yeah. out, so yeah. I yeah. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah. big time. I, I yeah, I didn't. That's that is fucking nuts. Okay. What are what are ways that people can can keep following your work, man? Ways that people can get in touch with you and things like that. 
Well, it's it's really just Josh Mallerman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I didn't, I hadn't used the website really much at all in years. And then about a month ago, right when I, I was sitting down to write a novel, and um, my webmaster asked me if I wanted to put a new, there's a free short story up there. And he asked me if I wanted to put a new one up there. And I was like, well, yeah, I do want it, but I don't have one. And I also don't feel like writing one because I'm about to write this novel. And then it was like, well, what if we put the, what if we serialize the novel on there? Like, you know, we'll put chapter, like a few chapters a week. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So suddenly joshmallerman.com has become a big thing in my life where I'm, <laughs> where I'm writing a book, giving it kind of a once over and then posting the chapter. It's, it's as close, I think it's as close as you can get to writing a book live without literally doing it in front of someone. And that sounds like complete madness. So, <laughs> so jobcarmen.com actually has um, a serialized novel that's 50,000 words deep already. I mean, it's, and there's a soundtrack that a uh, brilliant soundtrack that this guy from Atlanta, Chris Campbell has been um, doing. He's at like 53 minutes. There's poems. Uh, Shane Douglas Keene has been doing chapter by chapter. So the website has actually become really exciting right now. But otherwise, it's just my name, one Al Mallerman, uh, Josh Mallerman on Twitter, Facebook, and all the other stuff. Well, cool. it's been a real pleasure, man. Make sure uh, July yeah. 21st to pick up Mallory. Sequel yeah. to Bird Box. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be great. I've seen arcs going around. I get jealous every time I see one. But uh, uh, when it comes out, I'm grabbing, grabbing a copy. I can send you a PDF tonight if you're into that stuff. Is it? Will it be small print on the? I don't know. Yeah, I think it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I know what you mean. Yeah, no, I know. I can't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried that. Somebody sent me an arc <laughs> recently, and and I struggled on my Kindle to read it. And I, I can't. I won't read at my computer, man. I can't stand reading at my computer. So, uh, thank everybody for joining us. Yeah, we definitely love it. We are glad you've joined us, and. Uh, we appreciate the fact that Josh was here, of course. Make sure to go and find us at Paleo Cheese. That's P-A-L-E-O-C-H-E-E-Z-E. -E -E. And you can find us at Paleo Cheese on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and uh, on YouTube as well. And so make sure to go on and do all that. And you can email us. Email us at paleocheese at gmail.com. The Weird and Wacky Fiction Podcast with me, your host, Mr. Frank. Every Monday, we're talking to everyone who's anyone writing weird and wacky fiction. So if you enjoy reading funny and strange books or you enjoy writing funny and strange books, join us on Bazong each week to learn along with Mr. Frank. Bazong every Monday, a part of the Project Entertainment Network.